Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear, might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great back Our special guest this week is Steve McGarry. Now, Steve is a cartoonist, writer, artist who's worked on features in most major publications throughout the world, but he's most known to our listeners as featuring in Match and Shoot magazines. So, thank you very much, Steve, for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, glad to be here. So we've picked out a Match Weekly magazine from 1982, it's 27th of November 1982, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through this, but we're also going to look at some of your other items from other magazines as well. So as we do, we'll start off from the, the first page, and the front cover shows Alan Evans of Aston Villa, and he's pointing at something in the distance with his right hand, and both wrists are sweatbands in the Villa colours. Also looks like he may have vaselined his eyebrows to keep the sweat from dripping into his eyes. And he's wearing a Lecoque Sportif Villa kit. It's a short sleeve version. The sleeves and a band down the sides of the shirts are light blue in colour with a claret main body of the strip. The collar is blue with two claret stripes, the same as the cuffs on the sleeves. The arms have the Lecoque Sportif logo. Shorts are white with two claret stripes down the side. And it looks as also he has a bit of a scrape on his left elbow. And when I saw that, I thought, you don't really see scrapes on professional footballers these days. I wonder why that is. Any, any thoughts on that? Is that just because they, they don't get put about quite as much? I don't know. Or maybe the pitches just have more grass on them. So the top of the magazine front page states that it's the up-to-date football magazine and is priced at a princely 35 pence. So just other headings on the front page, it's a weekly European colour special, including Greece versus England and ERA versus Spain, plus the latest Newcastle team group. There's photographs of Billy Hamilton and Mick Mills, and a Scunthorpe team photo on the back page of the magazine as well. There's also Main Road Masterpiece, Dennis Stewart's Cracker recreated, so we'll be looking at that in detail. Uh, there's a feature on Gary Mabbitt, they say it's the, the new Mackay, the new Dave Mackay. There's Barnsley's Ronnie Glavin, who's gunning for Wednesday. Arsenal's George Wood, and it says, My Battle with Jennings. And just other things on the front page, 52 pence in error and 140 pesetas in Spain. It's a great front, a very colourful front cover as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think you did a good forensic investigation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Good autopsy, yeah. Yeah, listen, I, I try and make sure I, I don't miss anything, so I love the, I love the, the wristbands. Wristbands are, are brilliant. I, I love, absolutely love them. They they remind me of a certain period within my, my childhood. You used to every team had the colours, and I would absolutely love a pair of those. But they'd probably cost you because they'd probably be called retro now and be worth about thirty quid or something like that. Well, I, I can remember some of the magazines uh, on a couple of occasions actually gave away wristbands. Do you remember with like cover prizes? Right. I can't remember. 
magazines it was. But it was, I, I know that if I had wristbands knocking around the desk, yeah. it was because it'd come free in a copy <laughs> of the magazine. Yeah, yeah. So we'll move on inside the magazine and we're going to look at page two. So the first thing I'm going to look at is these adverts. So there are a couple of adverts at the very top of the first page. One is for Aston Villa souvenirs and the other is for Spurs souvenirs. Both are from the official club shops and Villa's titled 1982 European Champions is obviously looking to capitalise on winning the European Cup that summer. Spurs, meanwhile, regularly pop up in magazines over the years and were obviously ahead of the game when it came to club merchandise. So I don't know if anybody's noticed that. I think I may have mentioned it before, but Spurs were always advertising merchandise. There was actually even some pull-out brochures in some of the magazines and stuff as well. And they were about the only club that were doing that other than maybe Liverpool, Aston Villa here, but only when they'd won something. But Spurs were doing it pretty, pretty constantly. So, moving on, there's an article and it's Match Verdict. So, Match, look at the progress of the home nations in the Euro 1984 qualifying games recently. Northern Ireland have just defeated West Germany 1-0 in Belfast, while the Republic have just come back from 3-1 down to draw 3 each at home to Spain. England have just convincingly defeated Greece 3-0 over Athens. And the three results that have Match saying that British football in Europe will doubtless have a more successful day this season. But what of Scotland? Well, they, they're going to say, it's just a crying shame that Scotland were rolled over by the Swiss and Bern. Familiar story, isn't it? They say that the Irish teams deserve the main plaudits for their performances, citing the Northern Irish win over the Germans as the most famous in their history. I would I'd probably argue that's probably still the case, maybe, against Spain in the World Cup, maybe. What, what do we reckon is the... The best Northern Irish victory. I, I mean, I just remember uh, the, the the big fuss around. Do you remember Norman Whiteside when he yeah. emerged on the scene? Um, and the, that period uh, it always sort of sums up Northern Ireland for me. Um, you know, with with the win over Spain, that sort of Norman Whiteside period. Um, uh, before that, there was only sort of George Best had ever registered with me. And then before that, no, I'm telling a lie. City had a player called Johnny Crossan uh, when I was a kid. Manchester City had a player called Johnny Crossan, who was like a big Northern Ireland hero. But um, uh, other than that, sort of, you know, I've got to be honest, they weren't sort of constantly on my radar. It's only at a big tournament you'd go, oh, the Irish are here, yeah, you know. Well, they, they'd actually gone to, to beat the Germans twice in, in this qualifying tournament, but they wouldn't go through. So Scotland would finish bottom. England and Northern Ireland would finish second, with only one team going through from each group, and the Republic was finished third in the group. So at this point, it's all like, this is great for British football. We're all, we're all going to go through, and it turns out nobody did. So there we go, that's typical. So moving on, pages two and three, and it's Woodcock a hoop. Uh, this is Arsenal striker Tony Woodcock playing in borrowed boots after his boots were lost at the team hotel. Rates his double blast against Greece as the most important goals of his England career. He says, We badly needed a win in Greece to keep our European Championships hopes alive, so it was vital that we got off to a good start. It wasn't the most spectacular goal I've scored, but I was delighted to see it go in. The goal couldn't have come at a better time because we were getting a really hostile reception from the Greek fans. It certainly quieted them down a bit. And he talks of the overly physical nature of the Greeks and was amazed that nobody was booked. On the lost boots, he said, 
I'd left them in a polythene bag and one of the chambermaids must have thrown them out. They were discovered later on in a dustbin. Now at the top of the page, the goals in Greece are recreated in graphic form by none other than today's special guest, Steve McGarry. So this is the first of your appearances in this magazine, Steve. So it reads, Match artist Steve McGarry graphically captures the magic moment which brought England their three goals in the resounding European Championship victory in Greece and provided new manager Bobby Robson with his first international success. So the first picture shows Woodcock delicately lobbing the keeper. Uh, it's Sarganis, who's the, the Greek keeper. Why you want it? Greek defender makes a desperate lunge to block. The keeper looks all at sea to me and looks to be on his way down with him already being on one knee. And the second picture is uh, is more of an, an isometric view, I think is maybe the right way of describing that, of the Greek penalty area. A high ball was nodded down by Kenny Sanson into the path of Woodcock, who slides the ball home from just outside the six-yard box. And the third one is of an England free kick, dead centre, just outside the 18-yard box. Over the ball are England's Tony Woodcock, Brian Robson and Sammy Lee, and there's a four-man wall in front of them with a Greek player to either side. The path of the ball shows that Woodcock has taken a shot free kick to Robson, who has then touched it to Lee. Lee's then sent in a shot that is deflected off the boot of the Greek defender on the right side of the wall as we look. And deflection is wrong-footed the Greek keeper, who is helpless to do anything as the ball goes into the net on his opposite side. So we'll talk about that in a wee second, but interesting to note is the style of the Greek goalposts, and you made sure that this was captured. If, if you watch the match highlights, you'll see that they were indeed styled in this manner. They, they actually have a black part in each each corner, each corner of the post and at the bottom. Yeah. The, the only time I've seen something similar to that was the Maltese goals. And they, they were more sort of zebra crossing type thing. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've looked at, I tried to work out what was going on from your, from your illustration before I, I saw the video of it. And um, yeah, it captures them perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to tell me I made a mess of it. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it's, it's just, it's it's what you do really well, and I guess it must be really difficult to capture a whole scene and a whole event just in a single shot. Well, you know, I'll tell you what's interesting about this is um, uh, I wouldn't have been able to do this a couple of years earlier. Uh, it was only the advent, because uh, you forget these things, you know, we live in the 21st century, but back in the early 80s, most people didn't have video recorders. And so I wouldn't, I, you know, I, I don't have a photographic memory, but two or three years before this, I wouldn't have been able to do a series like this. It was only once I'd been able to, I can't even remember if I bought it or, or rented it, because you remember at that time, you, it was perfectly socially acceptable to rent your telly off radio <laughs> rentals. Yeah. And I think my first video player, my first VCR, I think, I'm fairly certain that I just rented it. Um, and, and But then that opened up New Horizons. And I'd been in, um, uh, I, I used to collect soccer magazines from everywhere. And I'd been in Spain during the 82 World Cup. And um, I'd got a lot of Italian magazines and Spanish magazines. And this was something that particularly the Italians did really well. They would just have great sections where they recreated the goals. Um, uh, so I don't quite know how their artists had done it. But so I'd started working with Match and we discussed this about how cool it was, you know, to do these graphic uh, recreations of the goals. So, and I think this was the first one we ever did or the first series we ever did for that. But as I say, 
couldn't have done it without a VCR, mm. you know, because I, I wouldn't have remembered what happened. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, so, I mean, they were good fun to do. Um, I, you know, with, with a lot of this stuff, um, getting ready for this, I've done that much um, illustration over the years that I forget chunks of it. Yeah. You know, so I'd completely forgotten doing these until, you know, until you show me the magazine again, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, remember this now. Mm. When, when you do see things, does it, bring back memories about it or sometimes you just look at it and go I have no recollection of doing this 95% of the time I'll remember it occasionally mm. there's sort of like a blank spot and you go is that one of mine <laughs> you know, <we laughs> check the signature um, to be honest with you when I look at this stuff now I, I look at the artwork and go "Ooh, you know I can see the mistakes um, and I'm sure that I'm sure you talk to any cartoonist or illustrator um, you know, they're always hypercritical, particularly of their early stuff. Uh, you know, they'll look at it and go, oh, we should have done that differently. Or, oh, I don't like the way I did that. And the, th the other thing is that technology moves on. So now most professionals are, for the most part, digital. Yeah. You know, we don't do this pen and ink stuff anymore. So somewhere in, um, somewhere in Peterborough, unless they threw them in the trash can, there's great archives of my artwork on heavy illustration board. You know, there's probably filing cabinets full of the stuff somewhere. Mm. See, the, the only the only time I'd seen work like this before was, I don't know if you're aware of the Marshall Cavendish book of football, which was early 70s. And, yes. And, and they've got, they, they did that so well. The, the, exactly the same sort of idea as this, where they would they'd maybe do it over two or three different scenes. But they, they they would run through exactly what was happening. I'm I'm a big fan of fan of that publication. I just think the 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 content is great. The the photographs are great. The the writing is brilliant as well, and it's ed really educational. But yeah, it's it's very very similar to this as well. Well, again, you know, talking about um, uh, how this works is because I, I was based in Manchester uh, at the time, uh, and Match uh, their offices were in Peterborough, and so I would send. Um, I would send the artwork by courier, um, which is, I mean, in this day and age, it just blows your mind <laughs> to think, you know, you'd have to put it in an envelope and, and it'd take two days to get there or whatever. Um, but uh, the, the interesting thing was that I've had to hand write the names of the players on this, whereas now, you know, with computers, I'd have done this digitally. I'd have been able to, to sort of work really large and get more detail in on the, because uh, these were done fairly small. Uh, and I actually, I'd, I'd have been able to just drop the type in, you know, so it'd have looked cleaner and nicer than this, because this is completely hand-drawn. Um, you know, it's prehistoric, really, in, in <laughs> you know, in, in professional artist terms. It's, yeah. It really is prehistoric. Uh, you got on to improve over time, so that we can we can take that from it. Well, you <laughs> take Okay, so moving on, uh, pages four and five. This is Match Chat, and it's over two pages and compiled by Melvin Beck. So we're going to look at a few of the, the little articles from here. And the first one we're going to look at is The New Mackay. First up, a little article on Gary Mabbott of Spurs, and it's accompanied by a black and white photo of a suited Gary being presented with the Robinson's Barley Water Young Player of the Month Award for September. The award is in the shape of a metal tray or something similar. On Mabbit, Nicholson says, It takes me back to the days of Dave Mackay, the Spurs powerhouse in the 60s. His attitude spread throughout the club. I, I would say, from the photograph there, my first thought was Gary Mabbit 
probably never looked young. I'm not saying he looked old, but he, it seems as though he just looks the same age that he did through his entire career. Wasn't he diabetic? Yeah, he was, yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, I mean, anything, you know, that's the thing that registers with me, obviously, all these years later. Um, I just think it's really cool when players can sort of show kids, hey, look, you know, you can overcome this. Look at me, I'm a yeah. professional footballer. I, I, I just think it's really cool. I think it's, it's great to sort of have role models, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what Danny McGrain had said when he found out he was he was diabetic and for a moment thought that was the end of his career, but then he realised that he could manage it quite sufficiently. And within a couple of months, he was back playing. And he said that it never had any effect on him yeah. uh, after after that. Uh, I believe it, Andy, a silver salver. I think you would a silver salver, silver salver, silver salver. Yeah, yeah. I just I also love the Robinson's barley water. That's just not something that gets involved in other than maybe Wimbledon. Is yeah. he still still involved in Wimbledon? It doesn't get involved in any other sports these days. A bit more wholesome a sponsor than is, a, is about these <laughs> yeah. days, I think. Bet XXX or something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Just, just a thought, though. I mean, I wonder how much sugar was in that. That's um, <laughs> true. Water. I wonder if, if Jerry Mabber was like kryptonite in front of them. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. So the, the next one we're going to look at from the pages is Bond backs Ray all the way. And this is Man City boss John Bonds has backed Man United and England skipper Ray Wilkins, who's experienced a lot of criticism from the press, saying that United aren't as good without him. He says, analyse United's approach very carefully and note how many times Ray builds the attack for them. Yeah, Ray, Ray Wilkins getting a lot of stick, apparently just from the, the press at this point, And he's getting a bit of support there from from the other side of the city in John Bonds. Uh, the other one we're going to look at here is the Bob Paisley avoids post-match interviews. I took this with a pinch of salt, if I'm being honest, but let's see what you think. Liverpool manager Bob Paisley has come up with a foolproof way of avoiding TV interviews following his team's matches. He says, Whenever I feel I don't want to go in front of the cameras, I make sure I'm wearing the other channel's tie. I don't think that's going to stop anything. That's yeah. quite funny. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love the way they called him a wily manager. <laughs> <laughs> this dastardly plot that he's put together. Yeah. Oh, Ro- rolling yeah. his moustache as he comes up with these yeah. ideas. Yeah. Swirling it, yeah. 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 On to the next one, Trevor to stay. So this is 34-year-old Trevor Brooking was looking to hold off in his retirement for another season in the hope that he recovers from his upcoming pelvis operation sufficiently so that he can go out on a high. Now, as a spoiler, he only played one game in season 82-83, but then went on to play 35 league games the next season and eight in the FA and League Cups. This was the last year of his senior career, helping West Ham United to ninth position in the first division, just one place outside the European spots. Quite often, you, you... you read little stories about this aging footballers who have an injury. They say, I, w- "I want another season. I'm going to. I want to go out in a high," and it never happens. But with with Trevor here, you had the, this entire season out, but then came back and played the full season and did well for West Ham. So, fair play to him. Yeah. So the next one, uh, England's future stopper. I think that's a play on future. So this is Oldham manager Joe Royal, and he believes that his central defender Paul Future is ready for an England call-up. He was dubbed the new Bobby Moore while at Luton Town, but this was never fulfilled after his £350,000 move to Man City in 1978. This made him the most expensive defender in England at the time. 
He played there for a season before moving to Oldham, where he would play up until 1982. Royal says a future. When I came to Oldham, everyone told me that Paul was a super player, but that every now and then he'd make a terrible error and give away a goal. He's certainly not done that this season, and if there's a better defender around at the moment, then I haven't seen him. Now is the time for Paul to be given that white shirt of England. I remember him at City. He had a brother as well, didn't he? They were... Yeah, Ron Fitcher. Yeah. yeah. So he, he didn't make any full England caps, but he did make 11 under-21 caps, although he was chosen for the England squad. This, this was absolutely fascinating. He was chosen for the England squad twice, but on both occasions, a road accident stopped him from making the squads. So he was involved in two road accidents and got injured in both of them after he'd been um, picked for the England squads. He went on to play for Derby County, Barnsley and Grimsby Town. His most appearances came at Barnsley where he played 230 league games between 83 and 89. And he's very well remembered at Grimsby Town as well and was the supporters player of the year in 92 and 93. And he sadly died of cancer age 60 in November 2016. So there can't be, there can't be many players who have been called up to a national squad twice and you get injured. I mean, you got to think maybe maybe he just didn't want to get called up. <laughs> maybe he's brought that upon himself. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, like a kamikaze into a lamppost. <laughs> do, do, do you remember him playing much at Man City? Um, yeah, I don't, to tell you the truth. I actually met him. Um, I, I used to have a series in the City programme because uh, I've, I've been a City fanatic since I was you know, a small boy. And so um, once I'd started to get um, a bit of success, I reached out to City and said, hey, I, I, you know, if you want me to do something in the programme, I'd love to. And they, they literally didn't have any money to pay me. They paid me, like, I can't remember what it was. It was like 16 quid a week or something, which was nowhere near what the football magazines were paying me. Mm. But what it meant was I got sort of VIP passes uh, and I, I got to sort of, you know, go into the blue room, they called it, after the game and, so I'd sit in the best, you know, sit in the best seats and then get to go in the room afterwards. And the the guy, the journalist who used to write for the City programme um, was a stringer. So, you know, he'd cover it for the evening news and for other local newspapers and stuff. And so occasionally when we'd meet up to chat about something, we'd tie it into something else. So maybe Bobby Charlton was launching his soccer school. So he'd go, well, come on and, you know, get free lunch and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll work out next week's programme or whatever. And I remember meeting um, Futcher. Uh, he was at a disciplinary hearing at um, a hotel in Manchester. And so it was an excuse for us to go and get a few drinks. <laughs> so I, I met him and he seemed very nice, but I, I've got to be honest with you, I I'm blanking on remembering him playing. Yeah. I can't remember him doing anything world shattering. Mm. So the next thing I'm going to look at on this page is an advert and it's, it says soccer fans. Now, in the bottom left-hand corner of the page is an advert for 100% cotton toweling robes in team colours. And there's a, an accompanying black and white photograph of a family. We've got dad, mum and young son. And they've all got different robes on. Mum has Spurs, young son has Liverpool and I think that's England, is it, dad's wearing? Anybody get any, anything different on that? I think that's England. It says, free sew-on team badge with every purchase. So I don't even think it comes with the badge attached, which is yeah. fair enough. The home national teams are included, as are the likes of Villa, Birmingham, Chelsea, Leeds, Man City, Man United, Spurs and Wolves, loads of English and Welsh, since there's also Cardiff and Swansea in there. 
Scottish teams covered are Aberdeen, Celtic, Dundee United, Hibs, and they do that thing again where they, they say Glasgow are for, for Rangers rather than just Rangers. And would that be because of QPR that they didn't call Rangers Rangers back then? You know, I don't know. I mean, you know, what strikes me about this is that this was so obviously a guerrilla operation, you know, because none of this stuff was licensed, you can see. <laughs> so they've just gone, okay, we've got, you know, we'll do a white robe with a blue stripe yeah. and then throw in a cheap badge. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. But none of the clubs would have been making any money out of that. It reminds me of, if, um, you know, those sort of American comics where you get an ant farm or x-ray yeah. specs or it's kind of, it's got that kind of vibe to it, hasn't it? You know, <laughs> we'll flog some dressing ground, dressing gowns or toweling robes and, um, you know, tell, no, this is Stoke City. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Red and white, you know. <laughs> So I don't know why that would be Glasgow R, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I, remember, I remember at university when we'd have in the halls, it'd be like a, a disco, a, a dance thing. The trick was, because we weren't licensed, you would pay a pound for a jelly baby and you get a free can of lager with it as well. And that's sort of yeah. along these ideas. Yep, there's your towel, here's your free, here's your wee free, but this is the bit you really want. So you, you, this is drinking clubs. I remember in Manchester, uh, uh, I can remember going to clubs and you would, um, the only way they got a license was if they fed you. So you'd get a, a, a sort of a, a raffle ticket and get, a, you know, a plate of chips or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only way that they could open until two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I remember all of that, yeah. All the little scams, yeah. Sounds very wily to me, that that sort of... Chew the moustache So So the... the the robes are in two groups. Presumably, group one is for children and group two is for teenagers up to adults. The adult sizes are 36 to 38-inch chest and 40 to 42-inch chest. So, yeah, there's a certain there's a certain um, group of people that aren't getting those toweling robes in, to, uh, yeah. in this day and age. Group one robes are £15.75 and group two robes are £18.75. Not cheap, not cheap at all. Plus £1.25 postage and packing for each robe. Outside the UK, add £2.50 postage and packing, but that's presumably on top of the £1.25 as well for each robe. So, yeah, they're making a killing from that, I think. Again, you know, push out push out the boat a little bit and do it in colour for me. That, that That's that's the mark of a, you know, a company that really wants it. Black and white, never trust them, never trust them. So the next one is Sixies Success. And this is England manager Bobby Robson is backing the English school's FA Six-A-Side Championship for 11-year-olds, saying, Over the years, coaches have realised more and more the benefits of small-sided games for the development of players. This is even more true for schoolboy players. The small-sided game gives young players more time in the ball and therefore more opportunity to develop their individual skill. At the present time, this is absolutely vital for the future of the game at every level. Around 6,000 schools are expected to take part in the competition, which reaches its climax before the England versus Scotland Schoolboy International at Wembley on June the 11th. Now, just a wee spoiler on that game, that international game ended 0-0. So I think, certainly Tom, and I know, like myself, when you think of the England Schoolboy International, you think of that one where it finished 4 each, was it? Five four, five four. Five four. Was it, yeah, and um, Paul Rideout scored the hat trick for yeah, yeah. for England, and Paul McStay was playing all these players, and I, I I still remember watching that game live on the telly, and one of the things that 
that uh, really fascinated me was the high pitched the high pitched chanting of because it was mostly school boys and girls in in the crowd. It was just a high pitched chanting of England, England, and I'd never heard that before. And it was like, what's that? What's that? Well, I, I used to go to. Uh, I mean, I was a regular at Main Road, and I'd be in the Kipax Street, you know, with all the hooligans, <laughs> and they had the the Platte Lane. So so they they had the sort of like the posh seats on the other side of the pitch, the Kipax Street stand, and then behind one of the goals was the Platte Lane end. And that was all, so they had like a, a, a kid's area in the Platte Lane end, you know, and there'd be a lull in the chanting and the fighting and you'd hear the Platte Lane end, same thing, you know, so yeah. all these prepubescent voices squealing. You, know. you miss Main Road as a ground, Steve? Um, you know, you do and you don't. I, to be honest with you, uh, um, by the end of Main Road, it was looking a bit shabby. Yeah. Uh, um, I can remember... Um, um, because obviously once I'd moved to the States, I didn't get to go to, to yeah, football yeah. as much as I would have liked. And um, one year I took my boys, um, I've got twin boys, uh, and I took them to uh, to see City. And then a couple of nights later, I took them to Old Trafford for a game. And it was a marked difference. I could see that, you know, they were more impressed with United's crowd yeah. than sort of ramsackled, ramsackled City. Even though at City, We'd got the VIP treatment at Old Trafford <laughs> to buy our own tickets. I could, see, I could see that they were, you know, these young spoiled Californians weren't as impressed with sort of City's ramshackle approach to it as, um, you know, the, the, the hospitality at Old Trafford. So you do and you don't. You know, I mean, I've got a lot of fond memories. Uh, and I kind of, you know, worked my way from uh, when I first started going, I would, I would be in the open scoreboard end. Then when I got to sort of 12, 13, I was brave enough to go in the Kipak Street and I was in the Kipak Street then for years. And then, you know, one, like I mentioned earlier, once I'd had a bit of success, then I was there, you know, like a <laughs> rapid drain pipe straight into the posh seats, you know. <laughs> no interest in standing in a puddle of tea, you know. <laughs> some boozy beer breath on my neck, you know. No, straight into the posh seats. I'm a very shallow man. Just, just on that little article there, of Bobby Robson. I mean, it's, it's quite notable to me the fact that they're, they're pushing these small-sided games at this point, which have become the way that you know youngsters play football now, isn't it? That, that is how they're they're developed. And this was nineteen eighty-two. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bobby Robson anyway, but you know, he's, he's certainly right up there, or before before the time with the with the FA on that one. Well, when, when was the, um, you may not know this, but when was the Charlie Hughes era of England? Because it, it seemed to me that England had lost its way at one point as you got into, I associate that with, um, uh, what was Robson's successor called? What was his name? Graham Taylor. Mm. I kind of associate that kind of, you know, they'd lost their way somewhat. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, again, it kind of blurs. I'm trying to remember when the Charlie Hughes era was. But yeah, I mean, I... I out here, when my, like I say with my kids, I coached AYSO, uh, you know, and you would see sort of kind of the, the thing with something like um, youth soccer in the States is there's coaches from all over the world, you know, just amateur level like me. So Englishmen, Scotsmen, you know, coaching essentially their kids' teams, but then guys from Latin America and guys from Eastern Europe, you know, it's kind of a big melting pot. And you would see the different approaches, you know, the, the, uh, the Latin coaches, was really, I mean, you had to, if you were playing a team, you know, a team of Mexican kids effectively, 
they would run rings around you because they were, you know, they were playing really clever, you know, touch and go football. Um, <laughs> we were still a bit, you know, boot it long. And, you know, <laughs> and if he's a tricky player, you know, let him know you're there, lads. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the British approach, you know. Yeah, well, that 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 approach can't die completely. It's got we've got to keep it there somehow to some degree, I think. Uh, you know, the, the the thing is that um, you know, with a really skillful player, um, a defender's job isn't to admire him. I mean, that's the honest truth, and that's mm-hmm. what you tell Your job is to stop him. You know, <laughs> you know. I mean, you've just got to use whatever you've got in your arsenal. That's that's the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. So, so moving on to the next one on this one, and this is the goal of my life. And this is an article, and it features none other than Steve McGarry again, uh, presenting yeah. an illustration of a previous The Goal of My Life feature with Man City's Dennis Stewart. Dennis also features again in this edition of the magazine for another more recent goal. Now, the picture has Steve presenting the illustration to Dennis, who's looking very pleased with the gift. It's an illustration of his goal an overhead kick for City. And Dennis is wearing a white shirt with a, I'm going to call that a Pringle pattern tank top. Steve has sported, I have to say, it's a lovely looking bomber jacket you've got on there as well. And the presentation looks like it's taking place inside a gym or maybe some sort of portable offices or something like that. I don't know. Maybe you could shed some light on this. Is it called, um, I think it's called Donington, which is a racetrack. And um, City was sponsored by Saab uh, Motors at the time. And they had this day where all the players and all the staff uh, got to drive Saab turbocharged race cars around the track. So that's what that day was. Um, and, and again, it was sort of, oh, well, come along to this. You know, if you're going to present it to Dennis, come and have a day out. You know, <laughs> so, yeah, okay, I'll go. Yeah. And that bomber jacket was, um, it's actually an American bomber jacket. I was... Um, uh, always had fingers in lots of pies, and this was um, I was working with a design, uh, well, with a clothing company uh, that were importing stuff from the states, and that was a sample that I nabbed. I used to, I got loads of great American gear mm-hmm. <laughs> for nothing. Mm-hmm. It was a company called American Boy, believe it or not. So, so the pictures are black and white. Well, I'm, should we take a guess at the colour, Tom? You can go first. I'm going to say uh, royal blue. I'm going to say a, a sort of crimson green, not crimson green. Green. I'm going to say green. No, it's bright red. Oh, I should have went with crimson. <laughs> should have went with my you first answer. If you stuck with crimson, you'd have got, you'd have got full points. Yeah. Just on, on, on the presentation there, you're, you're presenting them with a copy of your illustration. What Would that be a copy of it? Would that be the original? Yeah, that's the original artwork. That, um, it's actually, it was um, a board that was made in England. I'll, I'll, in case there's any cartoon or illustration nerds there it was a board called cs10 board which was really expensive and instead of it being paper it was um compressed china clay the surface so if you made a mistake rather than white it out you could erase it with um with a razor blade uh, so it wouldn't feather so you always had these really pristine you know gorgeous pieces of art uh you know no mistakes on them because you you could correct it Mm -hmm. and so I would do the art like that. I would take a camera print for my records uh, and the original art would go to uh, the magazine. And I think with this one, uh, because we knew we were going to present it to Dennis, I think we did it the other way around. I hung on to the original artwork uh, and the magazine ran the camera print. 
but yeah, that's, that's the reason. And the interesting thing was that, um, as I say, around about the same time, I was uh, for a couple of years, I did uh, a, a series in the city program, where basically I do an illustration um, in every home game of one of the players, and I think um, I think they would ask readers to send a poem about the player, and the winning poem won my original artwork. Well, all the players wanted their own copies, so. I, I mean, I, Dennis had got that one, but I can remember doing them for um, Asa Hartford, uh, uh, Tommy Caton. Uh, there's quite a few of the City players actually commissioned copies of the, the, the artwork that had been given away. So basically, I just had to draw it twice, you know, <laughs> draw the same thing twice. Would it, would it be easier drawing the second? Would you be able to do that easier? Uh, yeah, because I'd cheat. So, I mean, once I'd got it, I'd just trace it off and draw it again, yeah. I've got a friend, I won't tell you his name, but I've got a friend who um, sells his original cartoons um, that appear in Private Eye. And uh, I have to tell you that I've seen the same original three or four times. <laughs> I've got one in my house that he assured me was the original. Yeah. And I've actually seen other people with the same original. So... Um, yeah, Secret, uh, secrets of the trade. That how how long would that roughly take you to do? Would 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 they take you about the same time, or you know, would they vary quite markedly depending on what was in them? Well, um, the, they would. I would fit it in within sort of a two day period. So if the games were on Saturday and Sunday, I'd video the game. If if it, if we were doing that one, sometimes it was the goal of my life. Uh, sometimes it was action replay or golden goal. So if it was a live game, we would watch the games at the weekend and say, oh, did you see that goal? You know, I would talk to the editor on Monday morning um, at match and we'd say, oh, it's got to be, you know, such and such a buddy's goal, you know, against West Ham, that screamer from 30 yards. And so then I'd cobble it together, you know, um, look at the video, do one of those little schematic things, uh, do the illustration. It would probably be done over a sort of two-day period. I think it had to be with them. I think it had to be with them Thursday or Friday. Let's say it had to be there Friday. Let's be generous um, for it to go into print for the you know next week's magazine. So it would leave me Thursday. Uh, we'd decide Monday. It'd leave me Thursday. So some probably a couple of days. I mean, at a push I, that would take me a day, a day and a half to do. Okay, excellent. So moving on. The other articles in this page, Windy Chelsea. So after the stories surrounding the so-called gypsies curse at Birmingham, comes news that Chelsea are dipping into the realms of superstition to aid their bid for the first division. It surrounds a weather vane depicting George Harrison, the first player to score 100 goals for the club. It once stood on top of the demolished old stand at Stamford Bridge, but now it's been reconstructed on the orders of Chairman Ken Bates. He learned from a clairvoyant that Chelsea will continue to struggle until the old-timer is returned. So much going on there, isn't there? Firstly, the whole the whole idea of a, Ken Bates going to a clairvoyant to find out why Chelsea aren't successful is quite is quite something else. Uh, but I think I, I I think I've saw a photograph of that that weather vane before. Um, I didn't know that it was related to this. No, I mean, gypsies were quite busy at one time because there's a lot of clubs seem to have a gypsy curse. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a malevolent gang of travellers going around yeah. <laughs> cursing any team they didn't like by the sound of it. My, um, 
my, uh, just on a, a, a completely different tangent, my gran grew up in a place called Ancoats in Manchester. And whenever we were kids, she would always she would always go, hey, stop, I've seen a lad lose his eye doing that. <laughs> uh, I need to realise that Ancoats must have been full of sort of one-eyed blokes wandering around. <laughs> because no matter what you did, she had seen a lad lose his eye. <laughs> so it's kind of the gypsy's curse thing. I think it, yeah. it fits in, doesn't it? Yeah, brilliant. So the other article on the page here is Bob about Bobby Ferguson. And it says, when it comes to giving players the chop, then nobody is better qualified in football than new Ipswich manager Bobby Ferguson. The tough Scott has a black belt in karate. And the last one on this page is Billy Thompson. So there's a, a photograph of a smiley Billy Thompson of St Mirren. And he's pictured with his Match Weekly's Premier Division Matchman of the Month Award for September. And this doesn't appear to be Scottish specific. So I think that's all the more impressive for that. So the, he's holding he's holding a, a trophy there with, and I guess it's like a, a front page of a, would that be something that you would have drawn as well? Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. No, I I don't know if they did. I, I I don't I wouldn't have done it specifically, so I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to look at it. I, no, they wouldn't have commissioned me to do that. So if if any of my artwork appeared on one of them, it's probably they'd probably just cut and paste from something I'd already done. Okay, so moving on to page six, and it's Bobby's bulldog breed, and the Spurs star Gary Mabbott and Luton's black midfield pearl. Ricky Hill, appeared to be the first two of England's new generation of internationals certain of a place in manager Bobby Robson's plans. Three other under-21 graduates hoping to make the step up are Danny Thomas, Sammy Lee and Paul Goddard. Robson has named 27 different players in his three squads and only 12 players have figured in all three. Robson seems to be looking to the future by giving the younger players a chance meaning the likes of Russell Osman, David Armstrong and Cyril Regis don't appear to have a great future with the team. On to page 8, we're going to move on. We have the Green Giants. So the Irish celebrate the famous victory and battling draw. So we're going to look at the, the glory night for O'Neill. So we'll look at the Northern Ireland victory. So Northern Ireland's famous victory over European champions, West Germany, was doubly sweet for defender John O'Neill. The Leicester players' important role in keeping Karl-Heinz Rummenigge under lock and key atoned in some way for his disappointment at being axed from the World Cup team. That victory, a 1-0 win over the Germans in Belfast with a goal from Ian Stewart, was later featured in a match magazine in December of this year in a golden goal feature, once again illustrated by Mr Steve McGarry. So we've got a picture of that one here, so from that game, the, the winner. Yet more work of yourself flooding in at this point, I'm guessing. Well, I tell you, that one would have been done uh, on a very tight deadline um, because if you look at my stuff when I've got time to do it the way I'd like, I use a stipple technique. So it's kind of mm -hmm. built up from dots. Yeah. And if you look at that, um, uh, particularly on uh, Uli Stelica there, uh, there's a lot of lines in there which are quicker to do. Uh, but that's more sort of, um, it's kind of like my shorthand, if you like. Um, so that one would have been on a tight deadline. Yeah. When you were starting out, Steve, who was your kind of influences? Uh, the biggest one is uh, Frank Bellamy, who did, um, in fact, I'm glancing over at a Frank Bellamy original on the wall over here now, which is sort of one of my most treasured possessions. Frank Bellamy did Garth in the Daily Mirror, uh, and he did Heros the Spartan in um, The Eagle, 
uh, is probably the best comic illustrator Britain's ever produced. Um, he died quite young, died in his mid fifties, I think. Um, that was probably around about 76, something like that. But I wrote to him when I was a kid, as a teenager, uh, and he wrote back and, um, and then just after he died, I bought an original of his, uh, of his widow. Uh, and that's the one I'm, like I said, I'm glancing at it now. So uh, Bellamy was the big one. And then um, uh, Paul Trevelyan was the successful artist. Um, uh, and so it was kind of, I'd like to draw like Frank Bellamy and do what Paul Trevelyan's doing. That's kind of in a nutshell was my approach. Right. And then uh, gradually I started adding the, um, adding the cartoon style as well. So, you know, by the 90s, when I was at my busiest and kind of um, when I was hottest, if you like, you know, <laughs> but, if, but everybody wanted to pay me to draw <laughs> for them. Um, I would I'd, I'd, I'd kind of work in two styles. So I'd have the realistic stipple style yeah. uh, and then the sort of the cartoon style that I used for, you know, for Badlands in the Sun and um, Ray of the Rangers and then, you know, through to all the other stuff that I did over the years. Yeah, so I always thought you, your style was very distinctive. When you when you got a copy of Max, you could always tell right away it was it was your it was your drawing. You know, once once you knew your oh, name, well, you yeah. tell right away. Hopefully, that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to oh, no, not him again. Um, I, it's funny, you know. I, um, I, I was I was sort of ubiquitous at one point. I was in everything. Um, uh, that's just the way it works. You find with artists that there's sort of like their purple period where you can do no wrong and everybody wants to work with you. And then 10 years later, it's kind of, well, I've seen that, you know, <laughs> and you move on to the next style. So, um, uh, you know, the 80s and 90s was my, my purple period. But um, uh, there was an, uh, an organisation called the Society of Strip Illustrators. And at the time I was doing this, I was doing, you know, my weekly series in Match. Uh, and I was doing uh, things like the Steve Davis, uh, you know, my greatest uh, snooker shot series in the Daily Star and other bits and pieces I was doing. Um, but I, I, I wanted to sort of mingle with my peers. And I um, applied to join the Society of Strip Illustrators and a guy called David Lloyd, who did the Watchmen series. Uh, not the Watchmen, he did um, uh, V for Vendetta, sorry. Uh, David Lloyd did V for Vendetta. Uh, he kind of championed me and said, oh, yeah, you've got to be a member of this, Steve. So I went down to London, uh, jumped on the train and went down for their monthly meeting. Uh, and they'd had a meeting to see whether I could join. Uh, and it, was a, 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 it wasn't a unanimous vote. <laughs> and so, so I'd got in by one vote, by David Lloyd's <laughs> vote. And I went, oh, well, that's, that's a bit disappointing. Well, who, who doesn't think my work's good enough? Yeah. And he said... Um, he said, no, 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 it's not that you weren't good enough. You just didn't think, uh, our chairman didn't think you were um, a strip illustrator. Mm. So I went, oh, oh, oh you know, it's, I guess it's interpretation. But who, who's the chairman? And he said, oh, it's a guy called Les Lilly. And I said, what does he draw? He said, oh, no, he doesn't draw. He writes <laughs> Checkout Girl for the Daily Star. <laughs> so <laughs> this writer was blackballing me <laughs> from, from an organisation that he shouldn't have been in. So, <laughs> Right, okay, all right. So you live and learn. Actually, Les became a good pal of mine over the years, but I, I never let him forget that. It was <laughs> meant to sabotage my career. But yeah, I, I, I mean, 
I, I had a lot of fun doing these. We'd call them different things. You know, it, it was the goal of my life. It was Golden Goal. It was Action Replay. I think every new season we'd just change the title. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it was sort of a classic goals, and other times it was the goal of the week. You know, yeah. but th- this might have been a night game. That's the only reason I can think that it would have been done so quickly. Is it maybe if it was the Wednesday game, and I had to send it off Thursday? You know what I mean? I just yeah. started working on it on a Wednesday night and had to get the, the artwork to, to the courier by Thursday tea time. Would, would there be something like, I mean, I don't know if this would happen, where you're already committed to lots of features within it that and this pops up and maybe you have to get that in as well? Is that the sort of thing that would happen or did you always know what features you were going to be doing? Yeah, we, we knew there was um, my weekly series. So at this point, this would be called Golden Goal. If it was a night game, they they may well have said, "Let's hang off and and see if there's a, a goal from one of the the Euro games, because if there is, then we'll race to get that in and try and keep it current." So I suspect that's probably what happened there. Yeah, it's um, a, sorry, it says it's Wednesday. It's a Wednesday night game, so yeah, it would be a, it would have been a night. Yeah, game. and that explains that tells me why I use the why I use the the the, sort of the line technique rather than the stipple. Mm-hmm. The stipple would take twice as long. That's yeah. that's why. And that if you look at the shirt there, that, that gives the impression of color. That would be a, a, a stuff called zipper tone or letter tone. It was called in Britain, and it came on sort of self adhesive sheets of dots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like a screen tone. Yeah. And so you cut it out with a scalpel, which was another reason for using that stiff board, because if you tried to do it on paper, you'd cut through the paper and <laughs> end up with a dolly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Instead of a football illustration, you'd have a silhouette, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do it on heavy board, and that 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 dot tone is, is um, uh, yeah, letter tone. Mm-hmm. Probably cost about two quid a sheet, I think. Okay, let's move on to page nine here. So this is desperate. So this is Graham Souness' column. It says, Scotland hopes rocked by the Swiss. So Graham Souness says, Scotland only have themselves to blame that we didn't make it a glorious night for British football. We really should have beaten the Swiss. I felt we played very well in the first half but couldn't take our chances. The Swiss got off to a great start in the second half and after that they they were all over us. The match ended 2-0 to the Swiss. As soon as mentions the state of the pitch has been terrible, but he says he isn't using that as an excuse, as it was the same for the Swiss. It always fascinates me when, when people say this, it, they, they bring up the pitch state, say, but we're not using that as an excuse. So why even raise it as a... And a, a few weeks ago, we looked at a Graham Souness column where Scotland had shot themselves in the foot again, <laughs> lost to Northern Ireland... <laughs> And Graham Souness said the pitch was a disgrace, <laughs> but it wasn't you that as an excuse. <laughs> Is that right? Oh, dear. Yeah, but a few weeks ago, we did the very same thing. Another, <laughs> it was our fault, uh, and the pitch was a disgrace, but not using it as an excuse. No. Fair enough. No, he just mentions it in passing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's subliminal, isn't it? Yeah. Well, no, you, I, I'll keep saying it, but we're not using it. Okay, so there's a photograph with it as well, and it shows uh, the Jim Layton on the ground. Willie Miller uh, is, is looking on in anguish. Is that Alan Hansen as well there, I think? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And just yeah, as the, the Swiss player Claudio Sosa celebrates Switzerland's opening goal. So on, on the same page, we have an advert. K-Soccer, a great football card game. I know we, we've looked at this again recently, but I th- think it's always worth looking at them again. So the advert in the bottom right-hand corner is a picture with some cards. 
These have text like penalty, offside and goalkeeper on them, as well as some team badges. The ones shown are Arsenal, Crystal Palace and Southampton. Now the advert states, an ideal small Christmas gift for all ages. It's an exciting soccer card game with goal attempts, goalkeeper saves, offside penalties, plus the unique ingredient of using the colourful crests of popular league clubs in the game. Comes complete with rules and a handsome flip-top pocket-sized plastic case. Send a cheque or post order for £1.10 and this include. It's the first time you see something that says that includes postage and packing, which is, is always a wee bit of a, a bonus when that happens. But yeah, maybe... Maybe there was a there was a sale on club crests around this sort of time, and everybody was trying to make a killing on it, like those robes and now the cards. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned before, Tom, this is how you would learn about things, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. What, what club crests look like? Yeah, yeah. It's a great way. I mean, yeah. it's it's like so the, the football cards and the stickers and the albums. It's a great way to learn about players, about uh, grounds, about kits things like that it was the only way when we were smaller other than the shoot magazine things like that but i think when i was the sort of age i got this probably a lot of the information just didn't go in properly you know it was i was maybe a bit too young to to soak it up but like say the cards and things that was about my sort of level at that point okay moving on to pages 10 and 11 this is grease lightning so the text over the two pages says Grease Lightning, but the pages are actually a number of colour photographs from recent international games. On the first page are three photos from the Republic of Ireland versus Spain. The, that game ended 3-3 uh, when Era were 3-1 down with just under half an hour to go. So there's two goals from Frank Stapleton gave the Republic a point. So we'll look at the first photo, and it's taken from behind and to the side of the Spanish goal. Frank Stapleton is soaring in the air and has just met the ball with his head while the Spanish keeper is coming across to trying to cover. The next photograph is Liam Brady in possession of the ball, and he's about to be met with a lunging challenge of Spain's Antonia Macheda. Brady, he's got a bit of a grimace on his face, so he, I think he knows what's coming, what's coming his way. The bottom left photo shows Tony Grealish, just after he's unleashed an effort at the Spanish goal. And again, a Spanish defender, this time Camacho, is there with a despairing lunge to try and block the attempt. The bottom right photo on this page and the other three on the second page are all from the England versus Greece game where England came out 3-0 winners over in Thessalonica. And so the first photo shows Tony Morley in a tussle with a Greek fullback. It's a physical encounter and nobody appears to be given any ground in it. The next picture is Tony Woodcock with England's second goal, and this is the goal previously illustrated in the magazine by Steve McGarry. And the other two photos are of Sammy Lee. The first shows a challenge with a Greek defender. The defender looks to have wrapped himself around Sammy, who has a look of pain or anguish on his face. And the second is Sammy hitting a shot towards a Greek goal that gave England their third, again illustrated previously. I'm going to look at the kits. So interestingly... I say interestingly, but I'll let you be the judge of that. The the Greek badge is on the opposite side from other teams. So it's on the the right hand breast is the, the Greek badge on that side and you can see the England one's on what you'd expect the 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 left one. They've got a plain white band down the arms of the blue tops. It's a classic Admiral England kit, the away red version. And the Irish kit is a, a large badge, comes with a large badge, it's green. 
The arms have a white gold white three stripe down them. It, it's not Adidas though, although I'm sure Adidas would probably have something to say about that design. But it's in fact O'Neill's who took over the design for the Irish kits back in 1976, I think it was. So I, I know O'Neill's did the Irish kit for, for quite a few years and they, they did that three stripe thing, which I, I don't know how they've got away with it. Um, but it's it's a it's bunch of cracking kits. The Spanish one there, red with them um, blue. I've always thought the Spanish one, the combination of colours shouldn't work. You know, red top, blue shorts, and black socks. That that just shouldn't work together. But it's a great top. Um, but for me, the, the England kit that's that's my favourite England kit of all time, home and away, is that Admiral one with the bands across the the, the tops. So, any any comments on any of the kits or any of the photographs in here? I agree with you on that England kit. Um, I had a friend, um, an Australian cartoonist, who'd um, spent a little bit of time in the UK around about then. Um, and he got that England shirt and a Chelsea kit from the same time. And years and years later, we became friends. And when my boys were in their teens, they were that desperate to try and get a copy of that England shirt because it was so cool. Yeah. And this, I mean, we're talking now, you know, 2004, five, six, something like that, that um, I knew that my friend Kemsley's dead now. I knew that he had that shirt. And um, I can't remember what I gave him for it, but he sent the two shirts. And so um, there's pictures of my my boys like doing a DJ set somewhere. Um, you know, one of them's wearing that England kit. So yeah, it's I mean, it's just a it's one of those that's kind of still iconic, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's retro hip. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that that's the test of it, isn't it? Though that you, you could rock up to a to a disco or a, an event wearing it and it would be it'd be cool these days yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. think you could say that a lot for, I mean who knows in 30 years time we may be saying the same about current kits but I tend to think not well I have to tell you that as um, as an illustrator and a cartoonist I guarantee that ask any football illustrator <laughs> past or present how they feel about modern kits and they hate them <laughs> because you know if I go if, if I was doing city i would have to draw a sky blue shirt now you've got to try and do this weird mosaic yeah. design you know it's like oh no i mean if if i was doing this on a regular basis i'd have a nervous break now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> figure out you know particularly you know well where, where does that go when it folds yeah. you know if his arms up in the air where does that mosaic pattern go so i i think it's a, i think it's a deliberate ploy to just screw with Football cartoonists. Mm. That's that's what I think. Think of the illustrators. That's that should be the motto. Think of the illustrators. It, it should be yeah. First and foremost, yeah. <laughs> think of Dan Chow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so actually, I've I've got a, a photograph there of well, it's a photograph. It's 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 a it's a drawing of the the Irish kit. So as you can see, it's O'Neill's as a sponsor. Well done, O'Neill's for for a wee a punch in the mouth to Adidas. That that's what I say. So on to page thirteen, and it's no mistake by George, and this is about George Wood of Arsenal. So George Wood admits six weeks after joining Arsenal, I thought I dropped a right clanger. I couldn't see myself breaking into the side because Pat Jennings was playing so well. I began to think I may have to leave Highbury. Wood was signed from Everton for one hundred and fifty thousand pound, 
and only made 11 first-team appearances in the first year and a half before an injury to Jennings gave him his chance, which he took. And even when Jennings returned, he kept his place on merit, making 38 consecutive appearances. Wood says, The injury to Pat was my big break, and I had to make the most of it. I'm a better player now than when I joined Arsenal, and much of the credit for that goes to Bob Wilson. He taught me a lot. So any any thoughts on George Wood? Other than he, he's always sort of reminded me of Sean Connery. <laughs> maybe maybe not so much in this photograph, but most of the other photographs I've seen, he's just sort of got that look, that smouldering look as well. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 no football content in that that little comment that I made. So, <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to page fourteen, and um, we're going to look at the advert here because it's just a brilliant advert, and this is from Christmas offers from Bourne Sports. So Bourne Sports were one of the the big hitters in terms of uh, f- football kits and adverts in the magazines back then. So this is Umbro set, the top team soccer kit for boys, and it's a full-page black-and-white advert which features an Umbro set box with Craig Johnson of Liverpool on the front. Now, these, I think these boxes were generally how you would buy a full kit back in the day. They would include the shirt, shorts and socks, and, uh, you know, whenever we did get them, you know, at Christmas or something, it was just really exciting opening up a box and finding the, the Umbro set box in there. So the clubs available include Brazil, Celtic home and away, Rangers, Dundee, Leeds, Man City, Liverpool, Wolves, Scotland, Hearts and West Brom. There's a whole bunch of other ones there as well. No, I wouldn't have got one. No. <laughs> it's the sort of thing that you might have got John Terry as a grown man. but um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I, I was in my 20s then, so I wouldn't be getting it. I can remember getting my first pair of Puma boots, which had the... The same sort of effect because before then you know you'd, you'd worn I can remember uh, first playing at school uh, in a pair of rugby boots you know because that was just what they bought from the sports shop for me and you know there were these big, big ugly rugby boots with big round toes so there was no finesse coming from me at that point but then when I got my first pair of Puma boots it was like you know wearing gloves on your feet it was like oh you know off to the races but no I never got a box kit no Tom yeah, no, I had one. I had a Scotland, I had a Scotland one, round uh, about, round about that era. It's it was a Scotland kit that was in the style of that Manchester City kit that Trevor Francis is wearing. Yeah, uh, the World, the World Cup one. Yeah, which was uh, sort of dark blue with the the white that, piping. Dark blue, but basically the same, yeah. the same style as the Man City kit at the time. Mm-hmm. So moving on to page fifteen, and it's the Milk Cup third round preview, and it's double trouble. Glavin aims to sink Sheffield's cup hopes. This is Ronnie Glavin at Barnsley. And Barnsley big gun Ronnie Glavin has his sights trained on completing a Sheffield double. Having already helped blast United out of the Milk Cup with two goals in the previous round, the free-scoring Scott is now gunning for Wednesday. He says, Beating Wednesday would mean more to our fans than any other result because there's a lot of rivalry between the two clubs. Barnsley reached the quarterfinals of the League Cup last season beating Man City on the way, sorry about that, before bowing out to Liverpool after a replay. So as a spoiler, Sheffield Wednesday won the game 1-0, so it wasn't to be for our Ronnie. At the bottom of the page is a Subutio team offer token. So this is the final token and the free Subutio team offer that match are running. Three tokens guarantee you one team, but if you've collected five out of the six, then you can send away for two teams, which will be chosen at random. Each token must bear a different number 
and you must send in a postal order for 25 pence to cover the cost of postage and packing. That would have been a great thing to get. I, I don't remember if we ever did that. We probably would have. Because if you're getting it every week, you know you're going to get two teams because you're going to have at least the five tokens. But the idea of getting two free Sabuto teams back then, you know, for a poor family, would mm -hmm. have been absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Would you have got these free uh, Sabuto teams via your contacts at the magazine, Steve? I probably would have done it for the bath. It never occurred to me. But I, I, it's funny because, I mean, when I was a kid, um, my brother, who's like three years younger than me, uh, he he had all the Sabuto stuff, so I just used to play with his gear. And then when I first started work, I worked at uh, GUS uh, in the studio at GUS, which was Great Universal, the, the Shop at Home catalogue. So they'd have many different names, but um, uh, it was Great Universal stores. And so we used to get samples of stuff, and or we'd get a massive discount. And I can remember whenever they had a, a soccer game, football game uh, in the catalogue, we'd get it and all the lads would be playing in the studio at lunchtime. So I could, there was a game called Striker, I think, where you uh, you kind of pressed a button on the head. I think it was called Striker, you know, and the uh, the players kicked the ball that way. And then years later, um, with my own kids, I actually bought them Subutio. Um, I had a friend in Germany who was coming over from Germany and I got him to bring me a a German game called Tip Kick, which was the same kind of thing, because um, you couldn't buy them in the States. Uh, and they're all in my garage. The kids never played with them. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the video game generation. Yeah, yeah. You know, they sort of went through, the, uh, went through the motions once or twice to shut their dad up and then just went back to <laughs> play video games. Yeah. So I've got a garage full of old football games. Well, let's not put your address out on... On here, there will also be some some people over there prizing that door open. So yeah. what we're going to do at this point is we're going to do a focus on on yourself, Steve. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, and sure. you just give me an answer. So full name? Uh, Stephen Paul McGarry. What was your birthplace? Manchester. It was your first car. Uh, it was a well, it was my wife's. It was a Ford Fiesta. Okay. Who's your favourite player of all time? Hmm. It used to be, when I was a kid, it was Mike Summerby, although I admired Colin Bell. I think the best player I've ever seen at City is David Silva. Always had a soft spot for George Best, even though he was a, a red. I think it's probably David Silva. David Silva. A, a push. Okay. Favourite team? Oh, that's a difficult one. I'll, <laughs> I'll go with Manchester City yeah. for the sake of argument. I thought so. What's, what's the most memorable match? Uh, one that I wasn't at. Um it's the um, City winning the title after 44 years. We watched it at home in California, my wife and my two kids, uh, and at 93-20 when Aguero scores, crying, leaping up and down. <laughs> I'm, I'm welling up thinking about it now. It's the most, it's the most emotional. It, it's, it's the greatest moment in my life apart from wife and babies. That, that's all I can tell you. Just brilliant. That could then an answer the next one. What's the biggest thrill of your life? Um, biggest thrill, birth of kids, yeah, without a doubt. Twin, I've got twin boys, so mm. but we did it all in one fell swoop. <laughs> but football, oh, it's yeah, 93 20, without a doubt. Biggest disappointment, <laughs> uh, the Leon game, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the Leon game a couple of nights ago. Um, biggest disappointment, you know, I, I don't really had any. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, nothing, you know. Not, no, no great setbacks. Okay. No. 
that's fine. If there's nothing worth mentioning, then that's fine. That's a perfectly good answer. Uh, what's the best country you visited? Uh, I'm in love with um, Japan at the moment. We've been to Tokyo a couple of times for Tokyo Comic Con. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty lucky because uh, I get to go to lots of places through the cartooning. So I've been to every major city in America um, for the big Rubin Awards, which are kind of like the Oscars of cartooning. So I've been going to them for 20 odd years. Um, last year we were in uh, we were in France uh, in Lyon for the uh, Lyon Cartoon Festival, but Tokyo I love Tokyo. Uh, so I'm really disappointed that it doesn't look as though we can go this year because mm. of the pandemic. But yeah, I think Tokyo. Okay, what's your favourite food? Um, Indian, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, chicken and Josh. Good one. With rice and chips. <laughs> always with chips always with chips miscellaneous likes so give me two things you like to do uh, my kids have been in in a band since they were in their teens and I've not missed a show I mean I kind of help out a bit on the management side I if I could watch my kids play concerts you know I'd do that on a nightly basis we've had a load of fun with that so that and uh, what else do I like to do I kind of like doing what I do. I like I like new projects. So, you know, doing what I do. I mean, I, did, I worked out the other day. I did a, a series called Badlands in the Sun, and I'll have drawn four thousand Badlands strips. You know, in the twelve or thirteen years, and after twelve or thirteen years, it gets a bit, you know, same old, same old. So, I like to if if I can come up with a new project. Um, uh, you know, that I can get enthused about. Um, so uh, two or three years ago, uh, just by accident, I started working in animation. I'd never worked in animation before. Uh, and I ended up working on uh, the Minions movies. So for a couple of years, that was great fun until, you know, you kind of get a bit bored doing story art. So, oh, you know, now I'm consulting for this Chinese university oh right i'm off to china you know so things that i, I like new projects I, I, I still i mean i've been a professional since I, I think my first cartoon was published in 1974 so however many years that is um and that's the thing that excites me if I can, new projects are just oh i've got an idea for something let's try this that that's what i like most excellent so on, on the flip side of that miscellaneous dislikes so two things that drive you up the wall um, not trying. To. <laughs> uh, you, should, you should have prepped me in advance. What do I dislike? Um, well, at the moment, politics. I, I you know, I, I kind of have a foot in, in on both continents. I am distraught about Brexit and the Tories and seeing because I think the the National Health Service is just probably the jewel in the British crown, and I think that's in serious danger. And um, Donald Trump. <laughs> I don't hate anybody, although I'm prepared to make an exception for this guy. I just, I'm, I'm quite. I did um uh, in Leon a couple of years ago, last year, year before. Uh, I, I, was, I was speaking on a panel about um, editorial cartooning in Europe and in in the States, the difference. And uh, I, I remember telling the audience that I think America's in peril, uh, and you know it was kind of. Most of them spoke English, but for the ones that didn't, it was translated. And there was just blank looks. I don't think they believed me. Yeah. But I, I, So at the moment, politics drive me crazy. If, if Boris or Donald comes on the TV, that's the, I lose it. 
it, I'm afraid. I'm going to accept that as both of your answers then, because it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly okay. it's worth it, yeah, for both. Okay, f- favourite TV show? Um, favourite TV show? I like, uh, well, kind of throw a few in. Comedies, I like things like Peep Show and The Inbetweeners. You know, I like that sort of dark, smutty humour. <laughs> um, we've just watched uh, things like um, Better Call Saul, uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, I'm trying to think what else um, has resonated with me. Um, yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, that gives you an idea of what I'm going to watch, you know, at any given time. Absolutely. So, favourite singers? So, you can have two, either individuals or a group. Well, we'll take Pop Noir out of the equation. That's my kids' band. Um, so, present company accepted then. <laughs> Favourite singers? Well, again, if, if you, you go back, I, I grew up as a sort of a soul boy. So, I was a fanatic on, you know, Otis Redding. If you'd have asked me at 15, I'd, no, asked me at 14, I'd have said Steve Marriott from the Small Faces. At 15, I'd have said Otis Redding. At 18, I'd have said Rod Stewart. At various points I'd have gone. I used to like a guy called Colin Blundstone. I was in love with a guy called Richie Havens, uh, just best voice and guitar technique I've ever seen. Right now, I would listen to... um, Easier if I tell you what I'm listening to at the moment. Um, Apart from all my usual old rubbish, I I really enjoy a a band from Edinburgh called Young Fathers, which, you know, I think they're brilliant. Mm. I like Jamie XX. But other than that, no, I've got... Pretty um, broad tastes. Amy Winehouse is... I'm trying to think what I've listened to recently. Kate Bush was always a mega favourite. There's stuff that you go back to, you know. Um, you know, that's always sort of... And I play it on repeat. Um, you know, just, I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm a bit vague on that No, one. no, that's fine. That's, there's plenty in there. Favourite actors? So, again, two actors. Sean Connery, without a doubt. I, um Remind me, and I'll send you copies of. I've just done a, a Sean Connery biography. Yeah, um, just published that. Um, Sean, yeah, I always loved Sean Connery. I have to come back to that. Can't th- can't think who else stands out for me at the moment. Do you have a favourite of Connery's non-Bond films, Steve? Um, what did I enjoy? I enjoyed that one, um, The Offence, where he's a, a oh, brute yeah. cop because it was kind of at the time of Dirty Harry. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and Dirty Harry uh, was, the, you know, the American who doesn't fight by the rules. And then you got Sean Connery in the offence, who was just a complete bastard, <laughs> <laughs> just vicious and horrible, and just like a real policeman, just like a real police sergeant, you know, <laughs> big, brutal CID guy. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that. Connery, I'm trying to think what else he's done that I liked. Um, this stuff that makes me laugh with Connery. You know, it's that kind of, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's every impressionist has done it, but that sort of, no matter what he plays, it's, you know, you're right, right, Sean, you're a Spanish nobleman. Right, gentlemen, we're shailing to history. Right, right, now, now be a Russian captain now. Gentlemen, we're shailing to history. And you go, yeah, okay, that's great, Sean. You know, what else have you got in your repertoire? It's always the same guy, isn't it? Yeah, but I think, uh, I, I mean, let's be perverse, say Zardoz. <laughs> Where he's in his mankini. Do you know, do you know in, in my head I'm thinking, don't say Zardos, don't say Zardos. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say that, just to, just to liven things up. Yeah. Um, and I um, I used to like Pacino, but a lot of these guys, it's kind of like, um, 
they become caricatures, don't yeah. they? You know, I mean, if you look at early Jagger, you know, Jagger in the 60s, you know, Jagger of Painted Black is like a rock god. And then I can remember seeing him in the 70s, I think, 70s, early 80s, somewhere around that time when he's wearing like a leotard, you know, and he's prancing about. And Freddie Starr used to do an impression of him. And I, I've not seen the, the, the Stones for a couple of years. And Jagger came out in like a yellow leotard or something. <laughs> and he, he was indistinguishable from Freddie Starr's impression. He just go, well, wait a minute, I'm gone. This isn't cool anymore. <laughs> and it's kind of like that with Pacino. Pacino, you know, Pacino of the Godfather days is just fabulous. Same with De Niro. You know, the, yeah. that kind of stuff was, was perfect for me. Yeah. Um, well, then I can't really think of anybody that I'm raving about at the moment. No, we'll, we'll stick with Sean. Sean's a good one. Who's your Who's your best friend? Uh, well, I suppose my missus. <laughs> she knows all my secrets. <laughs> um, there, there's a, a kid called Pete Jeffries who lives in Spain now. Uh, we've been best friends since we were seven. We were city fanatics together, worked together. You know, danced at each other's weddings. Uh, his missus died a few years ago, and he came over here, and we went to Vegas, just me and him. You know. Mm early 60s and he's sort of grieving his missus and so we, in terms of over a lifetime yeah you know Pete's been my mate for 60 years so probably Pete I think. okay excellent and we, we touched on this earlier on who's been the biggest influence uh, well professionally Frank hmm. um, and then add into the mix Uderzo who drew the Asterix comics hmm. um, Elsie Seagar who did uh, the Popeye comics and I used to love, I, I never get tired of watching those um, Fleischer Popeyes, you know, the sort of Sinbad the Sailor time, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so professionally, those, those are the biggest influences. Okay. So final question, which person in the world would you most like to meet? To meet? Yes. Um, Barack Obama. Yeah, without a doubt. Great stuff. So that's the end of the, the Focus On. So at this point, I'm, I'm, we, we team up the podcast, we team up with a charity partner. And it's the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share that we've teamed up with this season. So I'm just going to give a little readout here as to what they do. And then we can we can jump back in to things. So the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share is a charitable organisation that provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. School uniform bank, a school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. Now, they provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families, and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money, and support in the form of volunteers, but we will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do and to also ensure that families and individuals who can be benefit from the group are actually aware of the vital services. So you can follow them on the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share group on Facebook or westernbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk and also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts shoottb underscore podcast and at scotsfootcards for updates and news on our charity partner. So what what we do with the, the podcast as well, Steve, is each show has a a corresponding web page as well so we put a web page together that has uh, the articles that we look at the photographs that we look at any videos and so as people listen along with the podcast they can actually follow along what we are reading and what we are seeing as well so on that page we also include a, a donation button and 
for every pound that, that's donated, it will it will go to the, the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share. But what we also do is for each pound, basically buys a, a virtual raffle ticket. And we put together the likes of the, the original magazines that we're talking about. Uh, so we'll put together a goodie bag of things like that and other items from the collection. And we will raffle it off. And whoever wins that gets gets the, the goodie bag. So... We we try and we're trying to push that a lot more as well. We'll try and get some some money for the food share, but also a lot of it's just to get them exposure and get people to support them in other ways as well. Let's um jump back into the magazine if that's okay. Um we're going we're gonna start from page eighteen. So this is International Hotline. It's basically a couple of little stories of events that are going on throughout the world. Uh the first one we're gonna look at is Joe Jordan in Italy, and one of the unlikely stars in Italy at the moment is former Scotland striker Joe Jordan. In the first seven games, he scored six goals, which made him Italy's top scorer, way in front of Juventus star Paolo Rossi. And as a result, AC Milan are back in line for promotion back to the first division. In Italy, Big Joe is known as the Shark because of his missing teeth on the field. So the, the photograph there is that iconic one of them. Um, with both arms raised in his Scotland kit, with his um, his mouth wide open, giving them the full jaws treatment there, isn't it? Do you remember the Heineken advert? That, yeah, yeah, John, yeah. I, I featured that in that exhibition. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that 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 was a very good one. Uh, for for the for the benefit of the listeners, the Heineken advert was the first view has Joe Jordan smiling with his missing teeth. He then takes a drink of Heineken and his teeth reappear, don't they? Yeah. Parts that other bears cannot read. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the next one in this this um, international hotline is Thomas Reigns in Spain. So this is Cameroon's Black Flash goalkeeper Thomas Incono, and he admits that the language problems may bar his way to success with his new Spanish club Espanyol, but has done nothing to spoil his displays. He's reproducing his World Cup final form in the tough Spanish league. Now Thomas says. I'm enjoying every minute of it, although I'm constantly hounded by the media. My aim is to be one of the best keepers in Spain. I have a great chance here, but it takes time to adapt to the pace of the game and I have language problem with my fellow defenders. So just as a wee spoiler, he went on to play 241 league games for Espanyol between 1982 and 1990 and over 300 in all competitions. He was dropped after the club was relegated in season 88-89 before leaving um, after being replaced. He was capped by Cameroon 112 times and he also managed the national team in 2009. Now, interestingly, Gianluigi Buffon declared he decided to play in the goalkeeping position after seeing Encono's performance at the 1990 World Cup. So I think just for bringing Gianluigi Buffon to the to football world as a goalkeeper is... You know, we we have to thank Thomas for that. So thank you, Thomas, one of the greatest goalkeepers I think there's ever been. And on to page 19, this is a David Cross column. And it says, the cap fits Tommy. So in this column, David is singing the praises of Man City Central defender Tommy Caton, who's 19 at this point, who he reckons is ready to step up and claim more English national caps after replacing injured Terry Butcher in the recent Greece squad, although he didn't actually play. He rates Caton in the top three defenders in the country, along with Terry Butcher and Alvin Martin. He also sings the praises of Ipswich Town, saying that they, he's always been an admirer of the passing game that they played. 
Now, Tommy unfortunately didn't go on to get any full caps. He made 14 under 21 caps. And he sadly died at the age of 30, suffering a heart attack a month after retiring from the game. So very sad on that, isn't it? Do you have any memories of him playing as a Man City player? Uh, yeah, I, 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 that team when um, when John Bond came in and took City to that cup final against um, against Spurs, and we lost the replay. Uh, there was a decent, there was the the, the 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 nucleus of a decent team in there. I thought Kane was a good player, but as I said, I think it was the drink that got him. I, I, I might be wrong. I apologise if I am, but because I, I, I remember, I come across him, you know, because I'd, I'd be drinking in the town. And I'd come across him a couple of times in the pubs, you know, early doors. <laughs> you know, I seem to remember him and Ray Ranson, um, you know, sort of as soon as the pub opened at half five, I was in there straight out of my studio. Uh, and I remember they were like two minutes behind me, you know, and I left before they did. So, but I, I, I seem to remember it was a drink that got to me. If, if I'm wrong, I apologise. And I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but that was the culture, wasn't it, at the time, though? I mean, you know, you, you go back to that Brian Robson and, you know, these lads, for the most part, were working class lads and they, they hung around the working class lads when they weren't playing. And you know, their, their refueling habits were, um, you know, of Gazaresque proportions, weren't they? Well, I think in, certainly in lots of situations, if you didn't drink, you'd probably wouldn't last in certain teams you know you had to be part of that that group i mean famously the the rangers team with richard golf and stuff they you know there's this saying teams who drink together win together i think it's something like that but um you know i think they famously did a lot of drinking together and yeah it's, it's definitely changed nowadays where everything is about you know being at your peak fitness and eating the right things, drinking the right things, making sure you're you're ready for the next game. Yeah. What's that story about Scotland that's ringing about? Somebody in a rowboat where he's been drinking all night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, J- Jimmy Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. I, I, so what had happened that night, so Scotland had beat Wales at Hamden, uh, right? But they were staying in Largs. So they get the bus back to Largs after the game. So they didn't get back to Largs until about back at 11. And uh, Willie Ormond had given them special dispensation to have a drink, but not at the hotel they were in, at the Queen's Hotel further down the seafront, where they knew the owner would give them a lock-in. So they basically yeah. didn't start drinking to about half eleven, quarter to midnight. So it was daylight when they all staggered, when they all staggered out. And uh, I think Jimmy Johnson gets a bit of a raw deal for it, because they come up with just a, a, a lark that he jumped in the, the rowboat that was sitting there, and Sandy Jardin, of Rangers kicked him, kicked him out. You see, <laughs> uh, and, and there was no, there was no yeah. oars in the in the rowboat, and a couple of the other players had tried to go out after him, but Finn, the other boat had a hole in it, so <laughs> they kind of just left him sort of drifting, drifting out to sea. And it, it wasn't so much the coast guard. I think that the coast was it was sort of two brothers that were sort of in, in charge of it, and they sort of went out. And uh, when they get out to him, apparently. Jimmy Johnson had said, oh, I just decided to get up early and go fishing. <laughs> and, and the guy had said, funny, there was no fishing rods there, William. But by the time he got back to the hotel, it was a big, big story. Everybody was at their beds to see him coming in. And I think yeah. he got a raw deal for it uh, overall. It was just a wee bit of, just a wee bit of a carry on. But I think yeah. Willie Ormond knew that he basically shouldn't have let them go out drinking at, at, at midnight kind of thing. So yeah. he, he knew he had to play a part in it. So he, he played it down, even though that the press were 
kind of having a go at him. And but then we beat England in the Saturday, and uh, Jimmy Johnson played the game of his life. So, Steve, I, I know what your grandma would say about that. that yeah, I said a lad loses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so moving on, we're, we're at the 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 big colour centre full team photo of Newcastle United. So this is uh, the kit is an umbro with the diamonds down the sleeves. It's black and white stripes, as you'd expect. Three black stripes. It has the badge on one side. In fact, it has a badge on one of the white stripes and the umbro logo on the other white one. It's a black wing collar and black cuffs. Shorts and socks are both black. Shorts have a white diamond and tram lines down the sides where the tops of the socks are white with black umbro diamonds as well. The logo is a Newcastle brown blue star in a white circle, isn't it? I think I'm sure, pretty sure that's Newcastle brown. Um, the goalie shirts are a royal blue in colour. Uh, the backroom staff are kitted out in tracksuit tops with the players' shorts and socks. Now, the, the trackie is a black zip one with thick white bands down the side and number of back diamonds down the arms. I was thinking about that. I don't know if that's white bands down the side or, or when if you think about it, it's maybe just it's white with what just one single black. You know, you've got you've got the the top which is the three black stripes, whereas the tracksuit is actually just one thick black stripe, if you think about it that way. Yeah, you, maybe one you have to see. Uh, it's a definite, right, everybody, cross your arms pose, because every, every single person's doing that one. So, so some of the names to pick out, uh, Chris Waddle's in there, uh, Mick Martin, Emery Varadi, Terry McDermott, Arthur Cox, the manager, Kevin Keegan and David McCreary. Is there anybody else that jumps out to anybody? Uh, no, but I, I was just thinking then, I was looking at that picture, uh, going back to City at that time, two of the most impressive players I saw around about that era were Chris Waddle against City and Mark Hughes. Uh, Mark Hughes, had, I, I remember the first time I saw him, he had like huge thighs on him. Mm. And both of them were, on, uh, at this point, like I say, I was in the best seats in the, in the stand at Main Road. And so I was quite close to the touchline. And Waddle just hogged that right touchline um, all through first or second half, whatever it was. And the, the coaching staff were just in his ear constantly. They were just talking to, you know, shouting at him constantly. Uh, and that's I, I just remember from the game, take, him taking people on and thinking, oh, th this, lad's, this lad's a decent player. And the same like when I saw Sparky Hughes, just these huge thighs on him, you know, and um, it's, it's rare that opposition players make a, a big... Uh, impression on you that you come away from the game and the thing you most remember is the opposition player. <laughs> but with both of them, it's fairly true. Yeah. Any, anything from there, Tom? Uh, no, I, I remember I quite liked that strip at the time uh, with the diamonds and that kind of sort of unusual sponsor logo with a with big star. And uh, I interestingly stood in front of the terrace and usually they'll stand in front of the stand, they'll set the team out in front of the stand, but the Bay of Terrace in there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not the, the most photogenic of backgrounds, is it? It's um, quite sort of Eastern European looking. It's a, it's a joy division, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so moving on to page 23 here, we've got Golden Goal. So this is Dennis Stewart, Man City. So this is his Golden Goal. We, we saw earlier on the, the overhead kick, but this one is from the Man City win over Swansea. It was 2-1. And again, it's illustrated by none other than Mr. Steve McGarry. So, 
Man, for the goal itself, Man City were awarded an indirect free kick inside the box for obstruction. It was an, an acute angle to the goal just outside the six-yard box. The box was packed and a three-man wall was placed almost on the line. Now, Asa Hartford, who was standing over the ball, flicked it up into the path of Dennis Stewart, who was beside him. Dennis then smashed an unstoppable volley into the roof of the net on the near side of the top of the wall. It was an outstanding strike, but questions must be asked over the legality of the goal, given the flick by Hartford is surely not allowed. And we'll, we'll get to that a little later on when, when people start writing in, moaning about it. Now, Dennis says, it was something we conjured up on the spur of the moment. Asa mentioned that as we lined up for the kick, and fortunately for me, it came off. It was pure magic. The first illustration shows a free kick looking on at the goal as if from the stand. Um, the second shows a side view of it from behind the goal and the third and fourth pictures of the head of Asa Hartford and Dennis Stewart with his fist raised in celebration looking very pleased with himself. I'm going to try see if we can play through the goal here. Hopefully this will work. Free kick to say the least. Not very often you see uh, an indirect free kick at this angle in the box. What will they try? Stewart! to be a contender for one of the most unusual goals of the season if not one of the goals of the season magnificent effort Swansea had four players guarding that near post the ball was flicked up and Stewart smashed it into the roof of the net for a splendid goal yep it was quite a I guess it was a lot of talk of the Willy Carr yeah did the donkey the donkey flick which I, that actually, I'm I'm thinking of something else. I'm thinking was it also Willie Carr who brought down the 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 player in the cup final. That no, that, that was Willie Young. That was Willie Young getting mixed that up in the West Willie Ham Young. Cup final. Yeah. No, Willie Carr had the I took the ball between his heels mm. and lifted it up. Yeah, for a free kick. So so yeah so looking at this, and as I say, we'll get to. It, the, when um, one of the, the readers writes in and complains about this. But for me, great strike. I mean, it was an absolutely yeah. superb strike by him. Um, but I would really question the legality of it. Plus, the position of the, the, the referee couldn't have been in a better position. But um, but that's me being a bit of a, a killjoy, I think. Great goal. And again, lovely artwork there. Although it looks as though you've maybe put a little bit of a paunch on Dennis Stewart's belly there. Is that? <laughs> I think I'm just looking at the Asa Hartford illustration, and that looks to me as though I've taken that illustration and just pasted it in because it's yeah. it's it's not very well. It doesn't blend in very well. Mm. So again, it's one of those. If if I was putting something in a portfolio, I probably wouldn't put that one in. Yeah, but yeah, Stuart, Yeah, maybe. I actually um I've been a Drew Stewart a few times over the years, and um uh, I mean we weren't friends or anything, but I I, I knew him. You know, sort of socially, I'd see him out and about, and you know, we'd stop and have a drink and a chat and stuff. An underrated player, would you say, Steve? I think he was a great player, but I mean, he was one of the first to go to the States, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, because he played in that Cosmos team with Pelly, and yeah, and he, he won the FA Cup, I think, with, with Sunderland before he came yeah, to Manchester. Yeah, that's where we all first saw him in that Sunderland team that pulled off that upset, and right. then, um, uh, yeah, he, he was a, a second time around, I don't know as much. Um, yeah. And you never quite know what's going on there. I, th there were stories about um, 
No, I won't even get into them. <laughs> there was reasons that he left the club, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, well, I was looking at the the video for the goal. I was looking at some of his other stuff, and he's he scored some cracking goals. I mean, yeah, he was he was a good player. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to page twenty four, and it's not very often I stop at these. It's fun time, and. <laughs> Part of the reason I'm doing this is I don't know if you've you've read through these, but two of them are the same joke. <laughs> so so the first one is it's it's a it's a guy talking to a coach and he's got his hands behind his back, and the coach says to him, "What makes you think that you could be a, a good goalkeeper?" And the guy's got huge hands. Well, as the, the the last one, it's a goalkeeper in the goals with really big hands, and it's, I can't see them scoring against this keeper. So for me, that's that's the same joke. I'm afraid. I'm not having that. So so I very seldom look at these cartoony jokes, but when I do, it's just to criticise. Make sure we point out that those aren't mine. <laughs> <laughs> were there any of your contemporaries around at the time, Steve, that you admired, other guys that were doing football illustration? Uh, all, all of this kind of stuff was um, kind of perfunctory. The, the way it used to work in those days was, you know, um, gag cartoonists. I've, I've never been a gag cartoonist. Yeah. It's a soul-destroying pastime. Piece. <laughs> you do 20 jokes and you sell, you send them off in an M. Or this is how it used to be. You would send off 20 jokes to a publication and hope that they buy one. Mm. And then they'd keep them for eight weeks, 12 weeks, and they'd send them back after having sold them one for 20 quid. And so they would go for a match. So then the cartoons would then send 19 to shoot. <laughs> and then when they didn't buy them, they would send like 18 to woman's own. And, you know, you could be like two years trying to sell yeah. these cartoons. Um, it was a very soul-destroying thing. The, the, the best guy at this, without out a doubt, was um, a, a guy called Styx, who did cartoons for shoot. He didn't do them for match. And the great story about Styx is that um, if you ever saw his style, if, if a guy was sort of running, he'd have these whirring legs. Or it, 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 they were all action. It, it almost like looking at a static sticks cartoon, you almost felt it was animated. It was that good. And um, the reason he developed that style was he was a, a very successful gag cartoonist and he took on an apprentice called, well, he didn't, didn't take him on, but he, he mentored a cartoonist called Reggie Smythe. And Reggie Smythe came up with Handicap. Uh-huh. And Reggie Smythe was sort of like the world's most prolific cartoonist. And he basically adopted Styx's style. And so Styx had to reinvent himself with another <laughs> style to distinguish himself from the new star, Reggie, Reggie Smythe. Mm. So that, yeah, that's why he changed. But for me, I never get tired of looking at Styx cartoons. I mean, you'll see them in Shoot. Any issue of Shoot has got Styx cartoon in. Just brilliant stuff. Mm. Okay, so we're going to look at the this terrace talk over pages 24 and 25. So the first one I'm going to look at is about Leeds fans. And this is from Stephen Cooper from Hebden Bridge. And he writes, As a Leeds fan, I was amazed to hear the secretary of Newcastle United speaking on the radio following the crowd trouble at the Leeds versus Newcastle League match. He said that all the trouble was caused by the Leeds fans. It wasn't. Newcastle fans were also guilty of misconduct. I'm not trying to stick up for a few mindless Leeds fans including the one who threw a marble at Kevin Keegan. But too often Leeds get all the blame purely because of their reputation. Now Matt's reply to this is, and that's a reputation that must change before it destroys a club. So, dirty Leeds, I guess. 
listen, I, I say dirty leads, but I so just so you know, I I I've lived in Yorkshire for twenty one years, Steve. So I, I I moved to Bradford and I've spent the last ten years in Bartley. So yeah. I, I work in Leeds as well. So I'm actually quite fond of Leeds as a team and stuff. So even though I say dirty leads, I actually quite like them. So I'm just. I know a few Leeds fans, um, you know, rough and ready lads, but I mean, they're fanatics, that kind of, um, you know, they, they won't have red in the house because they hate United so much. Yeah. So, you know, nothing red in the house. It, it, um, I've, you know, it's a bit, bit too, a bridge too far for me, I think. That. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. So, looking at the next one, this is an all tartan Scottish team. So, David Howie from Aberdeen writes, I am sure that all knowledgeable followers of the domestic football scene in Scotland shared my horror when reading Laura Hooker's letter in Terrace Talk from November the 6th. Apparently, she feels that an all-tartan Scottish team would struggle against fourth division opposition. Nothing could be further from the truth. Scotland would fare much better, I'm sure, without some of the overrated exiles. Alan Hansen is too casual, Graham Soonis hangs on to the ball too long, and Steve Archibald lacks penetration up front. I would rather see the likes of Craig Patterson, Neil Simpson, and Paul Sturrock in the side any day. Match replies? They don't. They have no reply to that, which is fair enough. Yeah, it's a uh, fourth division taking a bit too far, isn't it, really? Um, I think I think that's on the wind-up from Laura Hooker. And I, I agree, Paul Sturrock, yeah, maybe not so much. Craig Patterson and Neil Simpson over um, Hanson, Soonis and Archibald. You know, I think that's a pretty decent three there. And moving on to the next one, it makes me angry. So this is about Ricky Villa. This is Sue Brown, who's age 13, from Wool and Dorset. She's angry. She says, It makes me really angry when I hear opposition fans jeering Spurs Argentinian star Ricky Villa every time he touches the ball. Ricky should not be despised because of his nationality. He had no say in the war with Argentina over the Falklands. Ricky has been very loyal to Spurs and has performed with great skill on grounds all over Britain. For goodness sake, let him get on with his football. Well said, Sue Brown, age 13. Absolutely. Just let, let me give you a quick story. I'm, I know I keep throwing in, but this is That's such right. a great story. There was um, a, a gang of friends of mine were going to Sweden around about this time. And um, um, my pal was called Dave Galvin. He, he was my friend, and I'd kind of introduced him to this gang of lads. They're doing a, a trip to Sweden. They, they, they go, hey, do you want to go? And I go, oh, I can't go. Dave goes, oh, I'll go. <laughs> so um, he was known to them as Fat Dave. That's, that's the only way they knew him. So they go to the travel agents to book everybody's name in, yeah. and they go, <laughs> they said, um, so, oh, and then, you know, so like the, Name, 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 name. And they went, and, uh, well, what's Fat Dave's name? They went, oh, I don't know. Um, Fat Dave, it's, um, it's a Tottenham player. I know it's a Tottenham player. His name was Dave Galvin, and they're thinking of Tony Galvin, the, the Tottenham player. He goes, I know it's a Tottenham player. And so they thought for a minute, couldn't remember it. And so ever since then, he's been known as Dave Ardiles. That's how they put him down for the trip to Sweden. <laughs> Dave Ardiles. That's brilliant. So, move on to the next one, which is Disgusted. So, this is the one I spoke about earlier on, about someone writing in, not happy with the Dennis Stewart goal. So, this is J Jonathan Mason, aged 11, from Kempston in Bedford, and he writes, 
I was disgusted when I saw Dennis Stewart score with a volley in the league clash with Swansea at Main Road recently. When Asa Hartford flicked up an indirect free kick for Stewart to volley over Swansea's defensive wall, I thought the referee should have disallowed the goal, as Hartford did not play the free kick correctly. The ball did not rotate. Hartford just put his toe under it and flicked it in the air. Now, match reply. Why, why should you want to disqualify one of the best goals of the season? A masterpiece of invention and skill on a technicality. So, do you know what? I get, I get both things. I get, well, I wouldn't say disgust, but I get uh, Jonathan's sentiments that, for me, it's, it was an illegal goal. But I also get Matches reply that, listen, sometimes just accept it. It was a great goal. As a City fan, I'd think that 11-year-old Jonathan Mason should keep his nose up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So you agree with match then? <laughs> so the the star letter here is um, too much Keegan and Rebecca Harper from Peterborough. She's upset at the amount of exposure in television that Newcastle United is getting, especially their new signing Kevin Keegan. She says every time I turn on a soccer program, Keegan is filling the screen. It's time TV realised that soccer does not begin and end with Kevin Keegan, and she won ten pound for that. It's a lot of money back then, um, so I wonder if this was the time that it was on. Was it Superstars? Was it Superstars? He was on. They fell off his bike at yeah, high speed. I think yeah. I was a bit earlier. Was it? I mean, you wouldn't. You really clubs wouldn't they let you do that nowadays. No, not no, no. So moving quickly on, I'm going to move a couple of pages here, and we've got a page there. Billy Hamilton of Burnley in Northern Ireland. So it's a half-page colour photo of Billy. Now, Billy, 41 caps for Northern Ireland, scored five goals, two of which were against Scotland, and the other three were against Austria, two of them in the same game in a 2-2 draw in the 1982 World Cup. Now, he, interestingly, I, I don't know if any of you knew about this, but he designed a board game called Billy Hamilton's Football Academy, and I've, I've got a picture of it here. Now, there's a big description about it all, but um, I'll, I'll just miss that. But as you can see... It's basically it's it's a round board, and you've got your dice, you've got your your boots. I guess as the the individuals, you've got cards for missing a turn and things like that as well. So maybe try and get a copy of that, or get something like that off of eBay. Um, anybody aware of that game? No, no. no. You miss two penalty kicks in a reserve game. That's what it says there, it's one of the big cards. You missed two penalty kicks in the reserve game, man. You're really not having a good time. Look at the one underneath it. You lay on a goal for the manager in training. <laughs> Which probably means you've got more chance of getting picked, I guess. Okay, so, so on the other, the other page is Mick Mills, and there's a full-colour photo of Mick. And again, it's, it's your classic yeah. Southampton strip. Absolutely beautiful. So, moving on. Ivan the Terrified, page 32. So this is... Ivan Golach, um, who's now at Bournemouth, and former Southampton star Ivan Golach feared, feared that he would never be allowed to play in England again after telling how government red tape threatened his future in the game. Beginning to sound a bit familiar, this. He said, It took so long for me to get clearance to play here this season that I began to wonder whether I'd ever play in England again. It was a thought that lurked in the back of my mind. With unemployment so high in this country, there was a feeling that foreign players were taking jobs away from British footballers. That put my application for a work permit in jeopardy. He was offered a month's trial at Man City by John Bond, but he couldn't go because he didn't have that work permit. 
He was finally cleared after receiving a letter that told him because he'd lived in the UK for four years, then he qualified as a UK resident and did not need a permit. So he could have probably went on that that trial to Man City after all. So yeah, it's the same sort of things happening again, isn't it? It's that that just sort of touched with me that um, fo- there's a feeling that foreign players were taking the jobs away from British footballers. You, know, you just remove football from that context and that, that's what's going on at the moment, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, but also, I mean, don't forget that um, it was still a new concept. In the early 80s, this influx of foreign players was uh, was shockingly new. Mm. You know, when, when Villa and Ardiles took rocks up at Spurs, it was kind of like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was a new concept. Mm. Okay, moving on to so at the match facts section. So this is the results and the, the scores and the teams and things like that from the games. I'm going to pick out a few from this. So Tuesday, November the 16th, European Under-21 Championships. Scot- Scotland beat Switzerland 4-3. Uh, some great names in that Scotland team. Um, but the scorers were Nicholas, McStay, Hewitt and Goff. Others um, in the... The team McAlpine. I'm assuming McAlpine was a an overage player. Yep, um, right. Nico Neil Cooper and Eric Black in there. We've got Greece beat England one 0 but the likes of Bailey McMahon, uh, Hodges, Walsh, Hatley, and Davis are in that England team as well. Again, some great names. Saturday the twentieth of November, Man United beaten two one by Villa. In Division Two, Chelsea are beaten two one at home by Shrewsbury Town. Changed days indeed for Chelsea. Um, in Scotland, Aberdeen four St Mirren nil, and a two-two draw with Clyde Bank against Clyde. So who scored? Coin and given for Clyde Bank. So so Tom and Tom and myself are Clyde Bank supporters. So we always make sure that we pick out the Clyde Bank score. Nevin scored there for Clyde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pat Nevin. Yeah, good shout. Yeah. So moving on, we have the Star Gallery. So this is a, this is the amateurs at work, isn't it, Steve? This is the amateurs at work. Uh, so so these are drawings that are sent in by readers. Sometimes they're hits and sometimes they're misses. But I think this selection are fairly accurate. I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't quite get Diego Maradona first off, um, but the rest of them. So we've got Peter Shelton, who, I mean, it's not doing him any favours, but it's obviously Peter Shelton. We've got um, Gary Gary Shaw as well. That's a good one. Phil Neal. Again, it's quite rudimentary, but it's obviously him. And then Diego Maradona, who's looking a bit a bit moody, shall we say. Um first lips. He actually looks like Jimmy Percy out of Sham sixty nine. He and Tony Wilson will argue about. Yeah, it's interesting because there's now um a series, uh, have you seen it? That badly drawn football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of like this taken to its logical conclusion, isn't it? The thing is though, the the the, the sort of the they sort of play on this. Um, we're really bad at drawing, but they're not. I don't think. I, th- I think the majority of the stuff they do is very like who they're trying to do. So yeah, well, yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? I, I, you know, to be honest with you, if I mean, if they were badly drawn, once you've done a couple of thousand of them, you should have got better. <laughs> so yeah. obviously intentional. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it is. I mean, that's that's you know, but you couldn't have done that at one time. You know, it's um. But going back to what I said about you know you know artists have their purple period, um, 
you know, you look at my stuff now and it is of its time. Hmm. You know, you, you would place this in the 80s and 90s without a doubt. You know, you probably wouldn't see artwork like mine now as, as ubiquitous as it was. You know, the, now you would probably see something more like a Stan Chow illustration or, you know, like a Dave Merrill, you know, which is more sort of um, cinematic. I mean, there's some great illustrators working now. I think one of the mags is it, um, mm. it's had a match of the day or match that features them quite regularly, it uses a lot of um, soccer artists now. Because at this time, if you, I mean, you've got to remember at this time, there was probably me, Trevelyan, maybe one or two others, mm. you know? Yeah. I mean, we had the field to ourselves. You brought up the badly drawn thing, and there's a question that I would like to ask. Maybe you know the answer. Do you remember the, the Sun soccer cards set? Yeah. They were really badly drawn. Yeah. Do you have any idea who the artist was for those? No. <laughs> I'd love to. No. I'd love to. Uh, uh, you know, um, in 81, um, I'd never worked for the Sun. I didn't work for the Sun until 89. But in 81... To get printed at that time, you had to join a union. You had to, you know, there had to be NUJ, Slade, or I'm trying to think what the other one was. There were three unions anyway. If you, you had to be a member if you wanted your stuff published in a newspaper, maybe a magazine as well. I'm not sure whether, it, I don't think Match was a, a union shop. And my own union blocked me from, um, from blocked my series from appearing in the sun because the father of the chapel said, no, no, we can do this in-house. And my agent was trying to explain to him, no, this is Steve McGarry. He's like, you know, he's the, the hottest thing in football illustration at the moment. And they had it done in-house because it was a union job. So those sun cards may have been something, I don't know. Hmm. Um, I'm, this is just leaping into yeah, my yeah. mind. It may have been something that was foisted upon them. <laughs> They may not have any saying who, I who mean, the, did the, it. the thing is, they've definitely, definitely all been done by the same person because they all have yeah. exactly the same style. So, you know, I'd just love to sit down with somebody who's done that and just say, what happened here? Because they, they are. I also suspect that they have to churn them out very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, don't forget that, I mean, somebody like me or a Trevelyan was used to drawing football as a, you know, on a daily basis almost. Yeah. It may well be that they've just got a jobbing artist in there and go, right, draw me, you know, 48 footballers and I need them by Monday. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, yeah I can do that. You know, <laughs> it's the, like going back to the freelancer's code. Isn't I, suspect, it? I suspect that maybe they tried to do both hands at the same time and that's how we ended up with that style. So that, that, that's that's my working yeah. theory. I, I mean, I, you know, candidly, I'm never going to slag off anybody else's work, but... Um, uh, they look at, they, they, I, I, you know, let's say they looked a little rushed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, moving on. So we're at the back page here. Um, and this is a full page colour team photo of Scunthorpe United. And it's it's an unusual strip design for me, as it appears to have two different sort of styles to it. So it's got, it's an all light blue kit, and it incorporates both a, a burgundy, or maybe claret is the right word, V on the front, similar to Erdrionian's. However, it's also got pinstripes down the strip as well. So it's, al it's almost like an, an Airdrie strip with a pinstripe strip in the same one, which I, I, th I don't know quite that it works. Um, it isn't too bad, though. The kit maker is Hobbit, H-O-B-B-O-T, and they also made Sheffield United kit and a few other kits around this period. 
The middle row, third from the right, left is Neil Poynton. He played for Everton, Man City and Oldham after leaving Scunthorpe in 1985 and before he spent three years north of the border with Hearts and he's attempting to grow a wee moustache there by the looks of it as well. Dennis Lehman on the front front row, first on the left. He also played for Man City between 73 and 76, making 17 league appearances before moving on to Sheffield Wednesday. And sitting beside him is Steve Baines, who took the rare step of becoming a professional referee after finishing his football career. So after one year as an assistant in 1994, he was promoted to the referees list. The only referee to have done it quicker was a former Scottish referee, John Timmons, in 1987. And he was able to serve eight years as a football league referee, during which time he had a low rate of red and yellow cards. I mean, that, that's that's the theory about ex-players becoming referees, isn't it? That they know the game and, and they, they can understand what sort of challenges go on. So the proof there. Um, player manager, John Duncan in there in the middle row, kitted out in the player gear. And uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite a quite a look we're getting from Phil McLaughlin right beside him as well. He Why is he wearing the sweatshirt? Serial killer, that one, isn't it? Well, I think I think he was I think he was a physio or something like that. Um, so maybe he just didn't feel that he he. Yeah, just nothing. His job title's no in brackets like it should be. Then it just looks like they've mm. run out of tops. Yeah, just yeah. a sweatshirt. Yeah, he certainly doesn't look as though he wants to be there. I guess again, we were talking about earlier on where where the Newcastle team were all like crossed arms. I reckon the the front have been told to put their hands on their knees, and he's not particularly comfortable with that either. Yeah. So, anything anybody wants to pick out from the from the team photo there? Uh, well, um, they all look as though they could be uh, extras in my Canon strip. <laughs> <laughs> But I was just thinking that strips up the sort of kit that you would see in Ride the Rovers, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's like where it doesn't really look like any kit you've ever seen before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It sort sort of slightly reminds me of the York City one. They used to have the, the Y on the front. So it would have obviously the, the bottom part as well. I just I found it very interesting that the two different styles you know, to have the pinstripes on on that as well. I don't know. Do you think it works? I think it looks all right. I'm 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 generally against kits that try to have too much going on. Mm. I usually like just one thing or the other, but I think that does look all right. Yeah, I'm 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 in between. I think so. So on that, we've got to the end of this. We may have to send this out as two or three different podcasts, Steve. But I'm I'm perfectly happy with that. I'm I'm delighted with that. I'm sorry, I was so shy and retired. <laughs> so, 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 what, what's going on with yourself at the moment? What's, what's happening? What's life doing with you? Well, I mean, we're it, the pandemic doesn't really affect people like me because I'm, I'm at home all day in my studio anyway, and very rarely go out. Um, I, um, I've got two syndicated strips which run over here. I've got one that runs in the New York Daily News and various other papers around the world. And that's um, a thing called Biographic. That's a life story strip. You know, so I tell a different celebrities' life story every week. And then I have another weekly strip called Kid Town, which is in the Washington Post and a couple of hundred papers. Uh, and that's, as the name suggests, it's sort of facts for kids, uh, you know, puzzles. And mm. the idea is to get kids reading the paper. So I've got those two going on. I'm working on some projects, um, some um, book projects with my son, Luke. My son, Luke... Um, 
I think, as I mentioned, the boys are in a band called Pop Noir. Yeah. Um, but they've both got other things going on. And they're quite well known as illustrators and animators in their own right. So, I mean, if you, if you look them up, Luke's sort of one of the biggest stars in cartooning in the States at the moment. He's got like a big following on Instagram. So I've got a couple of graphic novel projects going on with him. Uh, one of them actually um, is basically my story about how I went from that council estate and it talks about the birth of, it's exactly what we were talking about. It's uh, it, you, For you, Tom, it's especially for you, it's me and Rob Gretton growing up as mods. In the store, and then um, how we, uh, basically how our paths diverged. And then uh, about two, three years ago, that record sleeve I designed for Joy Division in 1978 uh, went on display at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. So is and that it, the one with the... Is that drummer boy? No, that was the seven inch. And the, uh, the no, don't. <laughs> let's do a disclaimer here. The Hitley Youth sleeve is nothing to do with me. So. <laughs> when, the, when Rob looked at the Hitler Youth sleeve, he went, Oh, I think you need a new sleeve in life. And so that record was that, that that first EP was done on a seven inch, and the sound quality was crap. They didn't right. get it mastered because they didn't know what mastering was. They just thought it was like, you know, when they, when they go, when you buy a new car and they go, oh, do you want Scotch Guard on your covers? And you go, well, I don't know. And they go, yeah, yeah, you, you know, we can shell out the outside of the car for an extra 200 quid. They thought that that's what mastering was. <laughs> what, what do you mean we need the song mastered? So they put it out on a seven inch and the sound quality was crap and it was in a Hitler Youth sleeve. So Rob, when he started managing them, comes to me and goes, right, I want to put it out as a 12 inch. Can you do me a record sleeve? So I did, I designed a sleeve for, for Joy Division. And um, that was their first 12 inch, uh, an ideal for living. And then, as I say, um, all those years later, you know, 40 years later, or whatever it is, it goes on display, you know, the world's most prestigious art museum. <laughs> and I did it on my grand's dining table in a council house in Wittenshaw. So it's kind of that story. It, it, and the book is called Ideals for Living. And it's about how at the time there was no escape routes off the council estate. And Rob and I kind of invented ourselves, you know, Robin, there was no, Rob didn't follow anybody's path. Mm. You know, I, I use a line um, I've used in an article where I go, uh, I came from a place where people got their hands dirty. They didn't get their fingers inky. Mm. And that's, mm. you know, so I invented my way off the council estate. So it's about that. That's one of the things we're working on. And yeah, you know, just as I say, anything else that appeals to me, I'm, I've just done some stuff for, um, magazine in the Netherlands, a soccer magazine there. And they're trying to um, they're trying to get me to do a, a, a graphic novel about Frankie de Jong. And I've told them if they come up with the money, <laughs> I'll do it. And if they don't, I won't. So, so there's like always stuff going on. You know, it's, yeah. um, it's been an interesting life so far. Now, how, how long have you been over in the States? Uh, we moved here in 89. And then I yo-yoed for a bit because it, I, I mean, I, d I don't know um, how familiar you are with the stuff that I was doing outside of the football comics, but in '89 I was in uh, I was in the Sun. By the early '90s, I, w I was in the Sun every day. I was in the Today newspaper every day. I was in the News of the World every week. I was in Shoot magazine once a week, and I was in Sports Illustrated for kids once a month. So a lot of it was still in the UK, um, and 
um, and I yo-yoed between the two countries. So I had a house in Devon and I had a place in California. And then um, uh, we did that for like two or three years. And then we just, you know, life overtakes you. We'd only come out to California for a couple of years. And that was, what, 30, 31 years ago. So, Well, I, I only came down to Bradford for a month. And she doesn't it you suddenly find yourself you know i never dreamed of living in in california forever yeah. never dreamed of raising my kids here mm. but you know it's just that's the that's the way life unfolds mm. oh, excellent listen um i'd like to just absolutely give you a big thank you again for for coming on the show and and doing this with us i hope i hope yeah, you've enjoyed you your it. time steve no, 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 it's a pleasure. I, um, as I say, I, um, the, the way I approach these things is, you know, I, I'm locked in this studio on my own most of the time. So to chun her away, you know, for an hour or two is, is no hardship. And I just assume that you'll edit most of the swearing out. Uh, most of it, not all of it. <laughs> Got to have some swearing. But um, So on that, I'd just like to give a special thanks also to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of Story of the Blues in the music of the show. So you can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk and you can check out the details of any upcoming gigs and new music that he's working on. And we'd also like to thank a producer, Diane Jardin, for the great work in supporting the podcast. Please check out transmissionroom.co.uk and you can book music, recording and rehearsal facilities in Clydebank and I highly recommend that. So, a last shout out to our charity partner, the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share. As I say, please follow them on Twitter, follow them on Facebook, just keep an eye on what's going on, uh, support them when you can, donate if you can, you know, whether that's money or time or just, you know, making an effort to, to respond to their posts when, if they need any help, absolutely give them all the help they can. They do absolutely brilliant work. To the listeners, thank you again for listening and you can you can follow the podcast obviously on the shootthebreezepod.co.uk website. So follow along with the podcast and you can you can give us feedback. There's a weekly newsletter. Um, Tom, isn't there? You want to give some details there on is. that? Uh, yeah, well, the, the weekly newsletter is just um, we sort of recommend other podcasts to listen to, other football, recommend a football book each week. There's a wee bit of football nostalgia and I write a wee article about something we talked about in the podcast and a wee preview of the show. So it's just a wee fun football nostalgia newsletter. Yeah, so I, I definitely sign up to that. I've already read a few. When I've read a few of them, I've been like, oh, this is really interesting. And it's for, for our stuff. So if I'm interested by it, I'm sure you will be as well. But yeah, please continue listening to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Give us some feedback if, if you want to on the, on the Twitter page or on on the the podcast app that you you use give us a, a what, what would you call it uh like like and subscribe no there's not a like a a review review give give us a review on the podcast as well or just listen to the show and then don't do anything that's maybe probably the best way so i'd just like to thank tom for being tom thank you andy i'd like to thank steve again for giving us the last three years of his life that he won't get back it's a pleasure, Lance. Pleasure. Thank you. And until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. <laughs> <laughs>